Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode 122 of Through the Years, the podcast that reviews Ring of Honor show by show from the beginning. My name, as always, is Trevor Dane, joined as always by Matt Forsty. Matt, my name is always Trevor Dane. It has never changed. That is my real name. For all I know, you, Matt Forsty, might not be your real name, Matt. I don't know. I've never seen an ID, but I'm going to assume that it is. Should our, uh, should our, uh, episode picture today be a picture of my photo id <laughs> actually could i see your credit card just give it to me first and uh, i'll i'll get back to you in a few hours well you actually made me enter my credit card info you said that i can't call on skype without sending you my credit card info so i've been do- i do that every single time we talk so you you i mean th- i mean that's how it works I mean, you're the one that's bought all that naughty stuff on my credit card. It certainly wasn't me. Hey, yeah. those those are garden implements, Matt. They're <laughs> they're not what you're thinking. Um, but uh, yeah, I hope everyone's having a great time uh, in this wintry wintry wonderland. Is this our first episode of? No, this. Yes, it is. Of 2024. Yes, it is. And huh. I like that you said you hope everyone's having a great time because, in fact, you do wish everyone a great time at the end of every episode. So I'm glad that you're consistent both at the beginning and ending <laughs> of episodes. Have also, so, also, I hope people have had a good time as well. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, um, it, it's, it's usually when we start like a new double. Shot. There is, there's news that happened between the last Ring of Honor show and this one that we cover. This time there really isn't, but I do have a new segment, Matt. I don't know how long this will last. Oh boy. I tried to cut with a catchy name for it. All I could get was Down to the Wire because we kind of got to talk about the, the video wire segments because there was actually like matches on this show where I was like, why are these on the show until I watched the video wires? There was a couple neat points. So I think I'll just give a little refresher update. We talked about some of this before about where ring of honor was as a promotion at this point in the timeline in late 2006. So for those who weren't around at the time or have bad memories for the first few years of ring of honor, everything was done via the ring of honor newswire, which was simply a series of posts made on the ROH message board that would also be posted on the front page. And like, it's kind of amazing to think of it now that it was almost like E fed, like fake wrestling level where Everything was done just through these simple written posts happened every few days on the Ring of Honor message board where it would be like talent rosters for the upcoming cards would be announced. You know, dates would be announced. Um, you know, matches would be announced. They'd, they'd advance angles where, you know, Gabe and, and everyone else running the news or whoever else chipped in would be like, you know, you know, low key says, you know, he's got a bone to pick. And, you know, that's why, you know, next Saturday will be, you know, fight without honor, but all this stuff. And then, you know, that continued for not just up till 2006, but for years after. But a few months into 2006, Ring of Honor started branching out into the world of internet video. And we started to get the ROH video recaps where you get clips of shows that had just happened to whet your appetite for the upcoming DVDs, plus new promos that were filmed not for the DVDs, but just for the video. And I remember, again, that was like a huge deal to me growing up where it was like, oh, my God, like to show you how much things have changed in our lifetime. We're like the novelty of, oh, my God, I could see clips of a wrestling show, an indie wrestling show that just happened. And I don't have to wait like two months to get it on DVD. I can see like two minutes of it right now. That was a big deal. So RH does that for a few months. 
And now they rebrand, uh, you know, just a few weeks ago, a couple of months ago on the timeline, they rebrand the video recaps as the ROH Video Newswire, which was basically kind of largely the same as what they were doing, but it was just a bit more, it felt like they were playing a bit more importance on them a bit little bit more production they were starting to have at least initially have a different person from ring of honor each week kind of host it um and again they were still doing the written news wires but they they valued the the new video news wires so much that they would not only be included on the dvds but most ring of honor dvds these days are now having this scrolling text at the bottom of the screen near the start of the show that's basically saying hey the news wires are on the dvd if you haven't watched them yet Watch them first. Now, unfortunately, not every video newswire has survived. It, it, there are a lot on YouTube, not every single one. I know, Matt, remember, you remember that there was a, like, great Brian Danielson promo promoting Glory by Honor uh, Night 2 from 2006. And we, tr I tried looking all over for it. I tried asking, and I couldn't find it. The, uh, frustratingly, that was a video newswire split into two parts. The first part's online. The second part with the Danielson promo is not online. And as we do not watch these on the original DVDs these days, you know, we don't get them right on the DVD. But a lot of them are, and because a lot of them are starting to feature more important things. I thought I would do more, not as in-depth as the as the show, but more of a vague recap, because there were a couple interesting things if, that I thought would be worthy of pointing out from these video news wires. And again, we're not always going to be doing this also, because one, there's not going to be always be notable stuff, and two, some of the news wires are lost to time. Although, again, a lot of them are on YouTube, very easily found if you just search for the obvious stuff. So, um... We had two video newswires setting up the show. The first is hosted by Jim Cornette, and it's bookended by segments with him and Shane Hagedorn. And the first is Shane interrupting Jim to tell him, like, you know, there's a big rumor someone from the WWE locker room might be here tonight. And one thing I thought of note here, the first thing I thought of note, Matt, was Jim is commissioner of Ring of Honor, and when Hagedorn comes in, he's like, who are you? Like, I don't know who you are. And even when Shane's like, oh, I'm Shane Hagedorn, Jim then says, oh, yeah, I know you because Adam Pierce like, mentioned you to me. Shane Hagedorn has been a part of this company for like well over a year. He holds like the top of the class trophy. He's been on a bunch of the main cards. Like, well, well, that's isn't that the joke though? Like that. I, I guess, but I mean, it's just like, I mean, I know Cornet was veering like, into like, heel. Like, like, like how, um, like how Bobby Heenan every time Sean Mooney was mentioned, he would go who for like several years in a row. Yeah, but I don't think Cornette was the Heenan type here. You know, he, he, I don't think he was the kind of the buffoon, but he, I mean, I don't know. It, I just thought – I was like, well, oh, come on. But um, then we get brief little promos from Dan, uh, Brian Danielson, Aries and Strong. They build up their upcoming matches, and then it all ends with a Shane Hagerton returning to Cornette to introduce him to the WWE star he found, Zach Gowan. So I was wondering on a recent show, like, this is a random match, Zach Gowan and Delirious – well, they actually credit to Gabe. Again, I always talk about Gabe in this era would be really good about coming up with at least a small, tenuous reason for most matches to be happening. He even did it for Zach Gowan Delirious. I just had not seen this video wire yet. Um, Zach was on the phone, like walks in acting like he's on the phone with Vince McMahon. He's like, I'll talk to you later, Vince, baby. And then there's this amazing 
I'm probably overselling it, but there's this great little awkward moment where Zach starts cutting his, you know, braggadocious heel promo, you know, boasting like, I beat the big show. And Cornette just gives this very dismissive little chuckle. And it th- if you watch us online, it's again, this is one of the ones that's free online. It throws Zach Gowan off enough that he stutters and he looks at Jim and then he keeps going with his promo. But you can tell he's just a little rattled and nervous for the rest of the promo. And then, um, and, and Cornette, meanwhile, from that point, it looks like he's trying not to laugh. And like, this is like classic Ring of Honor, never did a take two kind of stuff. Anyway, Delirious eventually bursts in. He rants at Cornette and Delirious ease, and he wants bigger matches. So a fed up Jim Cornette sets up Delirious versus Zach Gowan because it's basically like, hey, you guys are both driving me crazy. You're both lunatics. I'm going to just deal with two, my two headaches by putting them together. And then we get the second video newswire, which is hosted by the Briscoes. We get a recap of Danielson beating down Samoa Joe after their recent time limit draw at Survival of the Fittest. Then we get the Zach Gowan versus Delirious match in full, Matt, for free. The, what a deal. And then um, it all ends with the Briscoes randomly running into a locker room in uh, Florida, I guess probably for FIP, and being the crap out of Davey Richards as Mark – and as Mark keeps attacking Davey – Jay turns to the camera and he starts building up this weekend's matches, including saying, and I quote, you see that? That's Davey Richards. He's supposed to have a singles match with my brother in Dayton, me in Chicago. I, I don't know. One of us. I might have gotten them mixed up. <laughs> I just thought that, I thought that was so cute where it's just like he's like trying to promote the matches, but and he's trying to do it in that gruff voice while they're like putting the boots to Davey. But then, he, then he's like, you know, uh, truth in advertising. You know, Those matches might be in a different order. You know, don't buy a ticket and get mad if it's marked on a different night. But so, again, you know, not major stuff, but like going into watching this DVD, I was just like, you know. It's really kind of a little bit odd. Like David Richards just randomly wrestling both Briscoes this weekend. And it's like, well, they gave it like a tiny bit more juice if you watch the video newswire. But um, and that brings us to the show today. Suffocation took place October twenty seventh, two thousand six, and this is not a true crime podcast. Despite that sentence, it took place at the Montgomery County Fairgrounds in Dayton, Ohio, in front of a reported crowd of four hundred fans. Well, Matt, then I feel like a true crime crime podcast wouldn't be necessary if it was in front of four hundred people. You could have just <laughs> asked asked all of the witnesses what happened. Yeah, see, you went the opposite. I was trying to make, I was, I was searching, straining my mind to try and make a joke of like, oh, there were very few witnesses by Ring of Honor standards. Although not recently, they're, they're, yeah, they're, yeah, four four hundred <laughs> is not small by Ring of Honor standards. It's, I think, really I mean, close to that normal. Yeah, I mean, it's the best gate they've drawn in three shows. Although they're kind of a two of their worst ones, but um, yeah, I think most people agree suffocation is. One of, I mean, it, it, it does technically happen on the show. It is probably one of the worst, weirdest titles for a Ring of Honor show ever. Um, it is a title for a wrestling show you definitely could not have done a year from now in 2007 for morbid and obvious reasons. Um, it, it, it's just one of those, like, I'm going to buy, you know what? That's kind of a sign of just, is this the, um, the lowest kind of like the least appealing card on paper from just like a buy this DVD. I mean, the top matches are Samoa Joe and homicide versus Adam Pierce and Hom and um, Steve Carino delirious and versus uh, Matt Seidel for in a match that they've done a million times in wrestling, but almost recently three, three times in very short order in ring of honor. And then I don't know what would be the third biggest match on the show. Uh, Austin Aries versus Claudio. Like, 
it's probably one of the weakest, like, just on paper cards that Ring of Honor has offered in quite some time. On paper, I could I could say probably I agree with you. I don't know that I think it's one. I mean, I guess I don't want to spoil too much. I don't know that I think it's the weakest, you know, in in practice, I guess is what I would say. So uh, one match we do not get to see, the dark match that aired on DVD, I mean, did, did not air on DVD, was uh, Matt Cross defeating Pele Primo. So clearly a sign that Ma- Matt Cross was getting a good look. Obviously, he'd become a regular Ring of Honor soon enough. But, you know, he just got his first match, and then they bring him in here and give him a, a dark match. But we opened that with something I know you enjoyed because you, you went out of your way to um, during the last few weeks to DM me and go, have you seen the Homicide Samoa Joe promo yet? So we open with the Homicide Samoa Joe promo. They're both in some fresh-looking fits, Matt, wearing hats together. They're hat buddies. That may have to be the image for the show. Um, Homicide calls the Briscoes, Adam Pierce, and Steve Carino Jim Cornette guys. So before Paul Heyman guys, there were Jim Cornette guys. And he says he and Joe are two of the most toughest guys in ROH. He says they're going to form like Voltron. Julius Smokes is in here, but they don't need him right now. They've got two of the most powerful guys in Ring of Honor. Homicide says forget about the Mega Powers, forget about the Freebirds. Those are two teams people often compare to each other, the Mega Powers <laughs> and the Freebirds. I mean, definitely not the Freebirds because, the, you know, there's only two of them. But he goes, this is The Rock. And then Homicide pauses like, I don't know what crew you're with, Joe. And then I, I like the idea that, that Homicide then his crew is The Rock. <laughs> um, Homicide says if he was Steve Carino, he'd go back to Japan. So he doesn't even look like a gaijin, but a fat pig like Dusty Rhodes. This – he, called, wait, he, he also calls Carino. I think what he actually laughed at was when he called Carino, he's like, you're a chunk, <laughs> which is <laughs> just a really ridiculous way of say, saying it. He says he's a chunk and looks like Dusty Rhodes. Yeah, and Joe at this point is starting to like giggle like he can't cult contain himself. Homicide then tells the Briscoes to, quote, stop drinking, stop pissing in your cousins. <laughs> it's not working, dog. Uh, <laughs> what, 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 what was the uh, – what would – be the indication that pissing in your cousins was working. <laughs> I, I I get I, I guess homicide's trying to say that the Briscoes had like a six year old's mentality of procreation where like if you pee in a girl that's what makes them pregnant and like they're getting disappointed. Well, I'm, gl- um, I'm glad you had a very keen understanding of that comment so you could explain that it to I me. Put, I've put a lot of thought into that. <laughs> Thank you. Um Homicide. He he. Then finally, Homicide tells Adam Pierce to go back to Diego or Chicago. Uh, he doesn't even put the sand in. All you gringos don't know the way I talk. Homicide. He says, which judging by me pointing that out, I am one of those gringos. Homicide says he's going to put a birthmark on Carino's face. He also he also that, tells Carino, your ass is going to get your ass killed tonight. <laughs> Finally, we go to Samoa Joe, who just goes, there are rare occasions where two wrongs make a right, and that's he, he what said, you've got he said, here. He says two mongs make a right. I, I, I quoted that because <laughs> I think Joe is so disoriented that he's saying crazy shit too. Two mongs make a right. That's what he says. <laughs> and then he just – he goes, you know, that's what you got right here. And then he does homicides, blah, and they, which I can't do obviously, and they leave. Blah. Yeah, exactly. You better than me. Um, this can only be described as if you gave Homicide an energy j- drink or two. Like he just spent over a minute straight just going. Like he, he just says, it just says so many nonsensical things. <laughs> and watching Joe just like crack up during it while he's trying to be all serious and intense made it all worth it. 
Yeah, like Homicide, you know, Homicide has his own charisma, his own charm that sometimes makes his promos entertaining, even though he does not have very good traditional promo skills. But I've never quite seen a, pro- a Homicide promo like this where usually they have kind of this cadence where it's like, you know, Steve Carino, I draw on like this, it's a little slower, you blah, blah, blah. And this one, he's just going and going and going and like with a different energy. It, might, it, might, it really, be, might, be, might be the number one reason to get this DVD, honestly. It honestly might be. And I like you were like, ah, oh, this show isn't that bad. And now you're saying a, a like 90 second homicide promo might be the highlight of the show. And I can't, Matt, I don't even know if I'm going to disagree with you on this. Well, listen. Um, that's how good the promo was. Well, we cut to Austin Aries backstage. Very, 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 very close up promo. Class, like very Samoa Joe style. It was right in this guy's nostrils. (laughs) He calls Claudio Casanoli, Claudio Mastacholi Rigatoni Castagnoli. Aries says for nine months, he and Roderick Strong busted their asses to make the RH tag titles, the most prestigious tag belts in the business. In one night with one briefcase shot to his injured ribs, Claudio changed all that. Aries says he hasn't forgotten that. Tonight he's going to get revenge. So very short, simple. It was not as exciting as the homicide promo. Um, we then cut to Jimmy Rave and Sal Renaro backstage behind the curtain right before Sal's match. It's almost completely dark, but we can at least hear Jimmy scream at Sal not to screw up or he's out of here. And then we then see them do one of those seamless kind of they walk right through the curtain. So there's there's no like cut. It's just right to the start of their entrance for our opening match, a non-title match. Brian Danielson defeated Sal Renaro, scored to the ring by Jimmy Ray, via pinfall in five minutes, 28 seconds, using a small package. So, Matt, before I hand it to you, a few, a couple of things to address here. First off, this is probably the best time to talk about where Brian Danielson was at with his shoulder injury. We'll go to the Observer, for which they wrote after this double shot about how, what Brian was going through during this weekend. Meltzer wrote, Dave Meltzer wrote, Brian Danielson continues to be hurting. He's in pain, yet he refuses to take aspirin or leave or even use heat or Bengay to relieve the shoulder pain. He was hurting bad both nights, and the Dayton show he was given a small, easy win over Sal Renaro, and the plan has been to only have him do one serious match each week. The plan was obviously to build the Danielson versus Homicide on December 23rd in New York as the big match of the final quarter, with Danielson at least attempting to keep going until then, but it's conceded they may have to do a title change before then if Danielson can't hold up. With a two-week tour with Noah coming up in a few weeks, he may be in real bad shape coming off of that. When he can't go any longer, he'll probably have to take significant time off for rehab or get surgery. Um, Matt, this is something, if I could ever talk to Ryan Danielson, a lot of people would ask him a lot of important questions. I would ask him, why would you not even want to take a leave or use heat on well, your well, shoulder? Yeah. Like, so not, yeah, not taking over-the-counter like anti-inflammatories. Like I kind of that kind of tracks with what I understand about Brian Danielson. Not wanting to use a heating like heat. Like I, I don't, I don't understand that. That I, maybe someone else with his mindset could explain it to us. But I, I don't know what the problem is. Maybe part of it is like he wants to uh, like feel exactly what his body is truly feeling so that he knows how to work around it. I mean that's the only yeah. thing I could think of. Like he wants to be one and in tune with the signals that his body is sending. I mean that's a good theory because isn't one of the big things with wrestlers like say like someone that in early in his career – 
Brian was compared to a fair bit. Like Dynamite Kid was, you know, a guy where he wrestles this really physically demanding style, gets injured a bunch, and you just take the pain pills to cover it up. And then you're working on your injuries and just exacerbating them because you don't even know exactly – you're not even feeling completely what you're doing to your body. You're not – like you're saying, like feeling the signals your body is telling you. Yeah, I I mean obviously like – Real like prescription painkillers is different than a heating pad, but I, uh, but you know, um, I I guess the concept, the principle is the same. But even just like Ben Gay or something, and I can tell you, some that's gone through some extreme physical pain, like you know, you can take two Tylenol and two aspirin even together. Pro tip, nurse taught me that. Um, it. Um, no, wait, not aspirin. Advil, Advil, I, I don't. You know what? Don't take, don't take medical advice from the Truth Eaters podcast. Don't, don't no, do listen, anything. Listen, I listen. you could take it from me, but do not take it from Trevor. <laughs> uh, but, 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 like, I can tell you, you're, if, if the pain's bad, you still get those signals. <laughs> those yeah. signals come through. Yeah, no, um, no. I mean, listen, Tylenol, uh, ibuprofen, they're, they're not that strong. <laughs> so, like, <laughs> Yeah, they're not gonna. They're not going to completely remove excruciating pain. That is true, but you know they can do. Da- if you take too much, they can do damage to other things. I get, I get why you people would want to avoid yeah. um, certain medications. Heat, not as clear on, but yeah, I yeah. kind of said that already. Well, Brian is also the guy who's like, oh, I actually, in a way, breaking my arm against Okada made our first match together even more fun because it was a challenge. So maybe <laughs> maybe Brian Dancy has like a little bit of like masochism towards like, you know what? I like when it hurts. But he, I mean, I think he'd probably admit to that. <laughs> he's like, shoot, Cactus Jack, the way Jim Ross always used to say, I like it. And then Mick Foley in his first book years later, right? you know, when people said that, uh, kind of bothered me a little bit because I didn't like it that much. <laughs> it's right. like, um, maybe Brian Danielson is the Cactus Jack we really needed, Matt. But um, so also I want to point – I think it's hilarious that of all matches, Jimmy Rafe screams itself that he has to win. Like this is your – you have to do this. It's against the fucking world champion. <laughs> the, the guy he can't beat, he's like, yeah, you have to win tonight against Brian Danielson. So – yeah, Matt. This was a match that this was this was one of those matches that it aired, it aired on the DVD, but it was taped for the video newswire. This was a match that in an upcoming video newswire was going to be shown for free. I'll have some thoughts on that in a minute. But this was also a match, as Dave wrote in the Observer, from here on out. For you know, last double shot we covered, they gave Brian two big demanding matches on the weekend. They gave him you know the the Samoa Joe. T- 20-minute draw on night one of that double shot, and then a full 20-plus minute title defense against Aries on the second night. You know, the the double shot before, they gave Danielson the night off the first night, and then they had him do the Kenta match. From here on out, the way Dave's suggesting, they will, in fact, yeah, basically, you'll be seeing him a lot more on weekends on one night doing, like, a tag or a multi-man match, you know, presumably. And I guess, you so this is kind of, again, going back to that and maybe the start of a run of that where this is basically a night off for him in some respects, right? Yeah, and and you know if this if you accept this match for what it is, it's it's entertaining because it is Brian Danielson. You know he's he has his hair freshly buzzed, he has his gear back, he's uh, you know he's doing the the wrestling holds and the whatnot. You know he's he's dominating, kind of dismissive of Sal Renaro. The announcers are mocking Sal Renaro's embassy gear, even though apparently the embassy doesn't exist anymore. One thing I've noticed on this past couple of double shots is Jared David, after being fairly reserved for the first few months 
uh, in his ROH gig, he's starting to feel himself a little bit, like show more personality, saying more outlandish things, making fun of the wrestlers and stuff like that. Yeah. Um, you know, maybe almost too much. Um, he, he, he calls, um, by the way, he calls, um, the, uh, Renaro's run up moonsault that like really run up real quick moonsault he does. He calls it El Nino, which I guess must be what they call it in FIP because I've never heard that used in ROH. And it got mm. a solid pop and he actually got a little bit of offense, Renaro did. Um, of course, they don't mention that Renaro is a former tag team champion. They just again treat him like a total jobber. Um, at one point, Danielson slaps him in the face really hard and does a, what I would describe as a very interesting arm throw that I can't really explain much more than that. Um, but so, so Danielson, he, you know, he elbows the shit out of Renaro, but he doesn't want the match to end that way. Instead, he like stands him up and does a very deliberate small package to get the win. Um, but yeah, I mean, entertaining enough. Danielson didn't really break a sweat. It continued the embassy, uh, storyline for what it is, I suppose. And it gives Danielson a night off, but gets the crowd to get to see him. So I, I, I didn't have any problem with this. So the first thing I want to start off with this match is I feel like I probably talked about this before, but this is a great example of like ROH's philosophy with these video news wires, like knowing they were giving this a match away free ring of honor gave pretty much no matches away free, except in the last few months they had started doing these or maybe the last, I don't know how long it's been a bit. They've been doing like these short five to seven minute squash matches just for online, not just for online video, they'd be on the DVDs, but for primarily for online video where it was always a big star versus like a lower card guy. And it would just be mostly a squash. And I feel like that what I don't think that was a great idea because on paper, it sounds like a good idea because it may, but I feel like watching this one, it really emphasized to me it's it's not a great idea because if its desired audience was people who have never watched a Ring of Honor show before, who, you know, don't know who these guys are, you know, this is their first taste, you know, they're, 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 they've, maybe they've heard enough about Ring of Honor to look at the website, but you know what? They're not confident enough yet to even order one DVD. If this is your first example of Brian Danielson, like you're not really getting a great taste of it. And this is your first example of Ring of Honor, like – this is not indicative of Ring of Honor, right? Ring of Honor doesn't do very many squash matches. The Ring of Honor's match quality is generally much higher than this. And although, you know, Brian, you know, looks like kind of a badass, a lot of this match is very low action by the standards, even these free online squashes. You know, it's, you know, Sal does get the little bit of offense. I did like, you know, Brian, like, getting put in the armbar or whatever and then lifting Sal onto his shoulder like deadlifting him with the arm onto his own shoulder then putting him on the turnbuckle and just like dismissively like walking away um i you know i like the finish like you mentioned where he basically knocks him out knocks him out with the elbows to the head and then like rather than let the ref like stop the match he wants to win with the small package just to be like such an arrogant asshole but um i i just feel like I feel like it would have been better move for Ring of Honor. I know they were a company built on selling DVDs and being a DVD product but at this time. But like – so you don't want to cannibalize that. But I feel like if you want to get new fans of Ring of Honor, I much rather would have picked like a great match and given that away for free than these squashes that don't really show off what the company is or even completely like, like – I don't think – Brian Dance is one of the greatest wrestlers of all time, one of my favorite wrestlers of all time, maybe my favorite. Like I don't think – a five-minute squash match versus Salvernaro, it like fits 
like you, you it, it doesn't play to his strengths to showing what makes him special. But am I just like well, I don't know? Am I crazy here? I just think that. I mean, if, if you're going to analyze the match as far as, like, is it a good promotional tool for the video wire? Like, yeah, I guess I agree with you. I just, I don't really think of the match that way. Like, just, like, what is it on its merits, like, as part of a bigger show? I think it's fine to, for what they needed out of this, which is Danielson has an easy night, gets in front of the crowd, the the Jimmy Rave, you know, transition to what he was going to become is advanced, and... uh you know, people get to see Danielson, you know, be charismatic in a way. And I, and I think it accomplished that. Yeah, I, I would agree that I don't think that the strategy of having random squatch matches on ROH videos or the video wire or whatever medium they were using at any given point was the right one. I mean, you see, you know, nowadays, a lot of promotions, if they have a great match, they'll they'll occasionally put it up on YouTube. So, you know, anybody could just watch like, oh, this is a great example of the best of what we do. Um, one example that I just watched today was uh, Will Ospreay against Josh Alexander from from TNA, where it's, you know, they were just like it was on their show, but they said, OK, we're just going to put it up on YouTube because it's so good and maybe it'll get more people watching our show. And uh, yeah, ROH probably could have done that at least a couple of times back then. But I think they were just so married to the idea that they had to, you know, save everything for the paying customer because they needed the customer to pay. And I know you were really into that Alexander uh, Osprey match, by the way, you were, you, Matt was raving about that privately, like saying that was better than uh, Okada Danielson. Well, so, well, uh, well, I, well, well, you know, sometimes I say things in private in haste. I don't know. I'm, I'm not ready. To, <laughs> I'm not ready to commit to that statement. <laughs> the point is it was, it was yeah. really good. I know you were not the only person who thinks that match was fantastic. I, I need to get this. I need to see that. But, um, but the one last question I was going to ask you though, Matt, thinking that because I, I was trying to think, and I, I have a hard time because my memory is always Swiss cheese, but like, let's say you were ring of honor in this era and you wanted to give away, like we were just talking about one match to try and win over new fans. Like we're going to give away a really good match we've had for free, but let's say you didn't want to cannibalize like your biggest selling DVDs. Like you didn't want to give away Joe versus punk too, which also would not have been a great match to give away for free because as great as that is the idea of, Hey, you're, you're, you're tentatively trying to decide if you even want to try and watch this promotion. You know, what's a great teaser, a, a little test for you, a 60 minute match, a time limit draw, but like, let's say you're not giving away that match. You're not giving away Joe versus Kobashi. Like, what would you think would be like a good, like if you were, if someone said, Matt, pick a match that we're going to just give it away for free to try and lure like new fans in. What what's like a good indicative match of Ring of Honor? Um, I I feel like to me the the the, the quick answer would be uh, Aries and Strong against the Briscoes from Unified. Uh, it's to me probably their best tag team match of the year, but not the best match on that show. So they still have something for people to buy that show for. And um, I thought it really great and fairly state of the art for for that for that time period. I think could could blow a lot of people away. In 2006. Actually, I never even that, – that's a great choice, not just because it is uh, – fits everything, but like you said, like you could still sell that DVD because you could say, well, there's another match comparable quality on this disc. You know, you can buy it and then own this back when human beings were allowed to own things and not just rent them for yeah, a no- small amount of time. Another possibility would be um, Jack Evans and Roderick Strong against the Briscoes from Best in the World. That's 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 another option. Oh yeah, that was that was fun too. Any, so, yeah, something with a lot of action, real quick, you know, pace. So um, 
After the match, a furious Jimmy Rave drags Werner off to his feet by his hair. He shoves him to the corner, throttles him, slaps him hard across the face. So a bad night for Sabrinaro's face. And then he throws him out of the ring. Jimmy just grabs the mic and says, Shingo, let's do this. He wants to get to his match right now. And we get to that match right now. Shingo comes out. Shingo defeats Jimmy Rave via pinfall in 12 minutes, 26 seconds after hitting um, I think it, I would call it the stay dream. I'm not an expert, but like I, I, uh, the stay dream, I think is an avalanche wrist lock death Valley driver. This was just a wrist lock death Valley driver, not done off the turnbuckle. So maybe it's not the stay dream. Maybe it's like the stay nap. I don't know, but <laughs> that, that move ended the match. Okay. Um, so this is not a Shingo's first match in Ring of Honor. He had the match with Curry Man in 2005, and then he had that match with Ricky Reyes earlier in 2006. But this is his first Ring of Honor match on his U.S. excursion, where for basically the next six or seven months, he'd be in America. He'd be a regular in R- – he'd leave Dragon Gate for that time. He'd be a regular in ROH. He'd work FIP a fair bit. I think he even does a couple PWG shows. And I remember the thought at the time – was in a, uh, this is why I'm really interested in revisiting this is that Shingo was disappointing in Ring of Honor at least initially, and it's especially kind of interesting revisiting it knowing in 2024, like Shingo is now seen as one of the greatest wrestlers of his generation. You know, a I don't, guy I don't who, rem- I don't remember thinking that about Shingo. I guess I'll have to revisit it myself. I don't remember thinking he was so disappointing. I remember there were people who thought that, you know, Alan – you know, Shingo now is the Alan Cunahan approved greatest wrestler of all time. He, like he's a legit top wrestler of his generation, you know, a star in New Japan, had a great long career for before all that in Dragon Gate. And um, so on one hand, Jimmy Rave sometimes makes perfect sense as a first appointment for a new regular, right? Like – um Jimmy's one of the most head heels on the roster. He goes out of his way to do almost minimalist offense a lot of the time to not overshadow his opponents and not get a lot of cheers for himself. And he had just also Jimmy had just recently been on his first ever tour of Dragon Gate. So he has some familiarity with the roster and probably Shingo. The problem is, even though Jimmy lets his opponent shine, Matt, I felt like sometimes you have to have kind of a certain tool set to shine against Jimmy. Like if you're not bringing a lot of flash and wow factor in your offense, Jimmy isn't contributing a lot of that either. And so sometimes things get like a little dull, like Shingo has some cool moves even at this stage, but a lot of his offense is just simple stuff done really well. Like a little bit of power offense. And you, I, I noticed watching this match, you watch Shingo here and you can tell his execution of just the fundamentals, like just how, he snaps off like basic moves is sharp in a way. A lot of us indie wrestlers weren't, it's just that extra level of polish. It, it, you know, it's that difference between the average dragon gate worker and the average us indie worker at the time that I think gave Sapolsky and others talked about and saw with the dragon gate six man early in the year where, you know, it's not like the us top us indie wrestlers weren't on the level, but just the average level of just, that base mechanics of wrestling, they, they just were in a lot of ways on another level. And you see that here, but that's not the kind of stuff that wows in a debut, in a kind of a re-debuting match. And I also kind of wonder if fans' vague knowledge of Dragon Gate hurt Shingo a bit, because if you have a very limited of Dragon Gate just from the online buzz, maybe you saw the six-man tag in ROH a few months earlier, maybe you've seen a couple Shima matches, you might think that Dragon Gate has just all – it's just all about mile-a-minute high flyers, you know, if, and insanity. And certainly Dragon Gate had a lot of that, but it also had other things within that roster and other, you know, things within that – pockets within that larger style. And 
he, you know, Shingo's never going to be Dragon Kid. You know, he's can do fat, fast pace. He can do cool moves, but he's not Dragon Gate doing, I mean, Dragon Kid doing Dragon Ranas. He's not Yoshino running the ropes faster than anyone had ever seen. He's not Shima even who, you know, really connected with fans in the U.S. instantly with like his charisma and that razzmatazz, for lack of a better word, Matt. And so I wonder if, you know, you don't remember, but I do remember Shingo getting some like, oh, this is kind of disappointing. I wonder if some of that was fans thinking, just hearing, oh, are we just getting a Dragon Gate wrestler for six months and expecting they were going to get someone that wrestled like Dragon Kid uh, doing 630s, bouncing off the ropes constantly. Um, anyway, enough of that. Period. I'll just say this match is fine. Jimmy does some stalling early in that kind of dull but fundamentally sound match Rave can have. But I thought in the final third, they ramped up. If not into third gear, I felt like they ramped at least into a, a pretty strong second gear. They, they, you know, they started making the match denser with Moose. And my favorite moment in the whole match wasn't even something in the stretch run. It was just this simple thing, not even simple. Like Jimmy does this, he has kind of like the signature bump they're starting to do a little bit more where sometimes he goes for that running step up knee in the corner and sometimes he'll have his opponent like, dodge out of the, ter- the corner in the last second and so jimmy will still kind of do the knee to the turnbuckle and let the momentum like flip him over the top rope to the floor and it's always just like it's a great looking bump and from there this time shingo like gets on the apron and does like this running clothesline off the apron to jimmy on the floor and he makes like just really firm accurate hard contact to jimmy's chest and i just thought that as simple as it is that two little move bump move sequence i was like this is what I like about wrestling. It's just fun bump, fun move, low above average, I would say, for this match, though. Yeah, I, I mostly agree. First of all, you said a minute ago, razzmatazz, for lack of a better word. I don't think there is a better word than razzmatazz, so I don't <laughs> think that you'll ever find – you'll always be able to say razzmatazz for lack of a better word. Um, but, no, no, I agree with you that the, the clothesline from the apron to the floor is probably the – my favorite high spot of the match. Um, and I, it's funny. There was a spot where, um, where Jimmy Rave does the butterfly lock and Shingo doesn't let his arm drop a third time. And it just made me think like, Oh, it's funny that there's now like discourse over letting the arm drop three times. It's like, if you stay, spend enough time following wrestling on the internet, people will debate literally anything because like, (laughs) I cannot imagine having like a thought about, that spot you know what i mean like it's just like it's just a thing that they do in wrestling i don't know like why not debate rope running since everyone knows that's one of the most (laughs) big the the biggest contrivances in wrestling maybe eventually we will debate that i don't know do you think that's going to become controversial at some point there were some promotions in the 90s that tried to get rid of it um didn't really stick um but um anyway yeah I, i thought they worked hard they got a decent amount of time but you know, the offense, like you said, was a bit rudimentary and kind of clothesline heavy. And, um, you know, I think that also another theme on this show is that uh, the crowd is kind of subdued. Yeah, this is one of the weirdest crowds, I think. Right? We were also talking about this a little bit. I think I used the word worst, and you used when we were talking privately. You used the word weirdest. Yeah, well, I, I definitely you, not, they're you, definitely not the worst. I mean, I was in the worst crowd in 2006, and that was how we roll. And this does not compare to that one. Well, there are times on this show where I've never heard a Ring of Honor crowd in the time we've been cut, rewatching all these shows get more quiet. There are times where they're mm, almost re, rewatch mm, rewatch War of the Wire. That's all I'll say. 
But what I will say going to you, why I think you're weird is more appropriate in some ways is to describe this crowd to people that aren't going to watch the show, which probably a lot of people, you you are a hardcore ROH through the years. If you're rewatching this one, I'll, I'll tip my hat there. Um, they will get up to describe this. I would say like if it's a big spot, they will get as loud as you'd expect for a big spot, like as loud as a crowd should get. But if it's anything but like a really big crowd pleasing spot, they will be really quiet. And as soon as they, that big spot, they will get quiet again. And there are a few times during this show where like five or ten fans will try and start like an applause break or like a supportive like rhythmic clap. And it's almost worse than no one doing it because it just goes nowhere. And yet there'll be times where you go, oh, the crowd isn't really into this match. And then like the semi may have end the show. They'll chant like – or it was either semi or the main event. After the match, they like chant. That was awesome and stuff. It's like, well, you guys weren't really giving this match a ton at a lot of points, but now you're giving it like it, it is like you. It is a very weird crowd, I would say. Yeah, it's not as negative as that how we roll crowd. That's why I think it's not as bad. Like, I think they were appreciating stuff. I just think for whatever reason, sometimes in the crowd there's a vibe and it's hard to get energy going. And like, I don't know why. And it definitely happens more on the indies when the crowds are small. And I. uh I definitely have seen it before in ROH. This is not the first one. And, Trevor, I think that there's going to be a lot of them over this stretch. And I think there's some sort of element in this homicide cornet feud that is killing enthusiasm. And I'll talk more about it at the end about my theory. I've already kind of talked about it before, but I don't think it's all a coincidence. That you promised us a dry winter on through the years, and you—that's the the truest prediction you have ever made so far, Matt. But um, hey, next- hey, I I I I definitely remember this era, and so far, so, so far, it's actually I feel like it's exceeded my memories in terms of. <laughs> no, I'm serious. Like it's better than I remembered. Like I I'm not joking about that. Yeah. Um, but I uh, but the crowds are the crowds. Next, we get a promo backstage with the debuting Brent. Albright backstage. He tells us that his name is Brent Albright. He gives a very loud, shouty promo that is very short and very generic. Tonight against Christopher Daniels, he's going to show that he belongs in Ring of Honor and that he's the best wrestler out there. We'll talk more about Brent Albright soon enough. Um, and that brings us to our next match. Irish Airborne of Dave and Jake Crist defeat Colt Cabana and Jimmy Jacobs scored to the ring by Lacey in 11 minutes, 9 seconds, when Dave Crist pins Jimmy Jacobs after a roll-up. Uh, before the match, Colt grabs a fan in the front row's phone and pretends to call his mom on. And then in a, quote, in, in a clip I posted to Twitter because I just could not, he, he, he then tells, her, tells his imaginary mom to, quote, send money. I'm broke like a motherfucker. So someone, if CM Punk ever sees that, he's going to point. I, I wrote on Twitter, he's going to point at the screen like he's Leonardo DiCaprio in that meme. Um, Colt then dances with the ref, even dips him. And uh, when Colt wraps his arm around Jimmy in a warm embrace, Jimmy even gives a little back tap. Matt Jimmy Jacobs is warming to Colt Cabana. That's kind of the story of the match. But before I throw it to you, the other thing we have to talk about is. At this point, BJ Whitmer before the match is revealed to be standing on the hard camera riser, mic in hand. And I think 
I forget, but I think the camera might have been like I forget if it was this show or an or an earlier show. Like for before they reveal BJ, like the ca- the hard cam was like felt a little bit askew. I was like, what the heck? And they realized, oh, they're probably doing this to make room so BJ Whitmer can stand on the riser. So BJ has the mic. He gets a decent pop. He says, "I told you in Detroit, Jimmy, that until I'm cleared by doctors, I'm going to be your shadow. Tonight's no different. Um, you know, I'm not going to break your try and break your leg. I'm going to break your." goddamn neck bj says jimmy doesn't know when or where but he promises him it's going to happen and this is something we talked about before bj said on in shooter reviews that you know how grateful he was like ring of honor for this weekend they paid him his full salary just to do these very very limited appearances where you know still recovering from ankle surgery he can't really do anything but literally kind of limp hopple around and cut these short promos so before all also also bj's promo to no reaction reminded me like the last show in Dayton had a really hot crowd for like, like for a bunch of matches and including that BJ Whitmer versus Necro Butcher uh, barbed wire match. So it's just the contrast is very striking. And they always try to treat um, Dayton as BJ's like home territory on the RH loop, even though like BJ's acknowledges like he doesn't really have like the strongest connections there. But like they always tried to put like bigger BJ things generally in the Dayton market. And so you think if any market would be like really receptive to him, it'd be this market. Um, anyway, before the match, Jimmy Jacobs, and look for this, folks, starts ramping. Randomly coughing, and then Hawk just this gigantic, disgusting loogie outside of the ring. So yeah, I assumed he must I have like a, he must have had a cold or something. Yeah, it, it, it was notable in not a good way. So yeah, Matt, what do you think about this match? I guess you know the story of this weekend, or at least of this match is you know the progression of the Jimmy cult relationship. Well, first of all, they start the match by the announcers questioning the use of the term Lacey's Angels," which comes up in a promo later. And Jared David says, we know Jimmy Jacobs is in Lacey's Angels. Colt Cabana may just be in Lacey, which, um, you know, I mean, it's low-hanging fruit, but I suppose I'll allow it. Um, But, you know, this was another story-based match. Um, The story was Colt and Jimmy was kind of working well together. So, um, and actually I thought, you know, so in the end, Jimmy lost clean. I thought that was a nice touch. Um... I, but you know, the crowd was quiet. They weren't trying to make it particularly excited, exciting. Um, you know, Colt was very comedic early on. There was, um, there was a part where, um, let me go get to it. Um, oh yes. Where, uh, Colt Cabana steps, he, he gets tagged in and he does a Jim Duggan impression for some reason. Like he does like dramatic, <laughs> like these dramatic big steps and goes, ho, and then he gets a USA chant, which is one of the few like chants I got going on this night. And Jared David goes, I do believe everyone in this match is from the USA. Um, so there was that. Um, there was also a spot early on where um, Jimmy Jacobs was working with Jake Christ and he's doing some, you know, re- Matt wrestling basic stuff. And Jacobs gets a half crab and then dramatically rolls out of the half crab and does this very over the top kiss blow toward Lacey. Like it was like a very theatrical, like I'm rolling into this kiss. And <laughs> like I feel like that could actually be a, a gif at some point if anyone wanted to make it. Um, would be pretty good. There was also a spot where like Cabana was doing that hold where he pushes Dave Chris' legs apart with his legs and his arms and he yells, Come on, give up. This has got to hurt your crotch. So, 
a few we'll get some more spots later in the night where somebody yells about what they're hurting while they're putting on a hold i guess that's <laughs> i guess that's the, i guess that's the benefit of a quiet crowd you could just like really talk to them you know what i mean <laughs> yeah. um you know, so actually, I think L.A. Knight would have a great time with this crowd. He'd, he'd be like, Let me talk to you. They'd be like, OK, we're letting you go ahead. Tell us. Um, but um, but yeah, so I mean, the rest of the match, you know, I thought Irish Airborne just was kind of looked the way they normally do. Um, Dave does hit a very um, impressive looking Karata on Jimmy Jacobs at one point. Um, there was a spot where Jimmy and Colt do three-point stances, like Duggan, Duggan style, into corner clotheslines, which I'm sure they had not planned. But since the Jim Duggan thing got over so well, I guess they just kind of went with it. Um, and I, like I said, I liked Jimmy Jacobs losing clean. I thought it did a good job advancing the storyline. This is one thing on the show that has grown on me a lot. Ever since they got rid of the Colt being mean stuff... I thought this this program made a lot more sense, and I am enjoying the character development. So in that sense, I liked it. But you know, it was a quiet crowd. The match wasn't super exciting. I, I but I, you know, I do like the storyline. So sometimes you see a match where people's in ring styles clash. To me, this is a match more where the wrestlers' personas clash to me like as a wrestling match i thought this was perfectly okay low above average like two and three quarter stars like get used to that rating i'm gonna use a lot for the show but the energy i thought was a little bit weird where first you have the fact that irish airborne are in their home market we were just talking about that with bj whitmer where they're usually pretty over and they're taking on colt cabana who's one of the most beloved baby faces of the company and then you add in colt is doing a decent amount as you recapped like of his comedy where the Irish airborne are all about like the flippy do innovative offense. You know, they're not about doing comedy matches or, or they don't really have personalities or character work at this point. Um, so I would say like the action in this match is fine, but it leads to some clashes. Like a good example would be, like you mentioned, when Colt tags it for this time, I don't know if something was going on in the news or what, why Colt decided to spend like multiple points of this match doing a hacksaw Jim Duggan impersonation. I really, I really don't think there was anything going on in the news. <laughs> I was like, did he make a, like a random appearance on like a, a raw or something at this point? But, um, so of course the crowd loves it. They, 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 they like ask for it later in the match where they're like going, ho, you know, they, they, they want more of the Duggan. And at one point, like you mentioned, Colt goes for the Duggan three point stance. And one of the Chris cuts him off to make a, a comeback. And it just is this weird thing where it now puts the hometown baby faces in the position of making stopping another baby face from doing something the crowd wanted to see. And they're actually in that moment booing the Chris, which was like, it, it, it's just that kind of a weird clash in that sense. So as a result, I feel like even though all these guys seemed over on their entrances in the middle of the match, this was yet another match that was oddly dead at points Maybe it's part of the face face dynamic I just described. Maybe it's because that's just what this crowd was. It's because um, of, it's because that's just what this crowd was. Oh, but the, the big point I want to make is I want to agree with you. I want to give credit where credit's due. Like both of us really wrecked, I think deservedly so, on the Jimmy Lacey cult love triangle when it started off because of how unlikable everyone in it was it was a love triangle where you could not like any of the three corners but in the last five shows they've actually done a really nice smooth progression like two double shots ago the double shot was colt being a complete asshole to jimmy jimmy hated colt they couldn't really work together one double shot ago they were tagging up finally instead of being in multi-mass together colt was now feeling sympathy for jimmy and being nice to him but jimmy was you could still see he was like reluctant and now tonight 
Colt and Jimmy are getting along, and they show it in a lot of ways. Like, Jimmy's playing along with a lot of Colt's bits. He's smiling at them. There's no moping in the corner from anymore, from Jimmy anymore. There's no hesitation to d- tag out. The double teams that were, like, screwing up before, they all work tonight. They even do a double Jim Duggan three-point stance. And I even like, like, Colt, you know, Jimmy does his usual top rope senton, but Colt actually, like, launches him off with, like, a rocker, dro- rocker, rocket launch kind of slam start from it. And the commentary really hammers the point that Jimmy and Colt are now getting along, which is good for commentary to do. But honestly, if you've been, like, following the storyline, like, they do such a good job just in their performances. You don't even need to be told what you're seeing. Like, they're they're very much showing, not telling here. Um, so, yeah, I, I completely agree you, like, Really nice progression there. That's like the highlight of this. It's just what it symbolizes. Um, also, like I, I did note, like you were saying during the show, the uh, Jared David commentary, like that line you point out. Uh, there's some other lines from him later where, yeah, he was feeling his wild oats here. He was I, – I, I think this was in some ways one of – Jared's best shows because he sounds just very comfortable and loose. And yeah, maybe for some people, Stacey might be getting a little bit too jokey, but there's something you, uh, words you can't use to describe many people in Ring of Honor commentary up to this point, whether they were good or bad, is comfortable and loose. And he's, he's gotten there, which is credit yes. to him. I think he did it. And he, and he does some good job pointing out some stuff later. So, um, yeah, so, yeah I, so anyway, I, I, I always thought he was underrated as a commentator in ROH. Um, but, uh, you know, he, he, he would be gone in a couple months. Yeah. Yeah. He's absolutely done a very quality, you know, job where I wouldn't put him as like, Oh, you, you know, the, one of the great commentary performances you got to hear, but like he stepped in and very quickly, he was perfectly decent, pretty good. And, and, and yeah, now he's really kind of settling in. Um, after the match, Colt has Jimmy join him in shaking the Chris's hands. Lacey berates Jimmy and only Jimmy for the loss. But Colt, keep, Colt keeps trying to tell her, stop her from yelling at Jimmy and cut, get, cut Jimmy some slack. So, again, we're really pushing the angle now. If Colt's really sympathetic, going from two double shots ago where G- Colt kind of delighted in how, like, shitty Jimmy's life was. Where now he's really trying to help him out and he feels sympathy for him. We can even hear at one point Colt tell Jimmy, like, I'm sorry. We tried, man. And and then Colt tells Lacey, you know, like, people lose matches. We're going to get a win soon. Don't worry. So, We'll play up more of that angle later in the show. And next, we get a backstage promo from another debut, Tank Toland, whose tan game blows away anyone's on the Ring of Honor roster. My God, does he? Does this man have a tan and and a body like just one of those guys where it's like, whoa, this is like this is the WWE difference. Um, Tank says he's the 21st century wrecking machine, and he's heard a lot about Ring of Honor from Spanky, James Gibson, and CM Punk. He knows it's a clean slate from here. Nothing he's done in the past matters, and he has to prove himself here, and he will. Tank then says, cut for himself, because he's a badass like that, Matt. And we get your typical Ring of Honor, camera still rolling angle, where Pele Primo walks, and he identifies him as that guy, the dicks, because... We'll talk a little bit later. That was Tank Tolan briefly had a stint ring of in uh, WWE as a dick. That was literally his name. You know. Yeah, I mean, people were obsessed with making fun of this at the time. It was such a short-lived thing, though. I actually not even ever sure if I saw it. Like I heard about it. I'm not ever. I'm not sure if I ever. I guess it was probably on SmackDown, right? I don't yeah. Think I, I don't think I ever watched. I don't think I was watching SmackDown at that point. But they must have only been on a handful of times. Yeah. So for for people that don't know. You know, Tank Tolan was uh, uh, a fairly, like, 
pretty pushed commodity in OVW, Ohio Valley Wrestling, which was uh, at this time WWE's developmental. He won the tag team titles there, I think, like three or four times with his cousin. You know, that was Chad and Tank Toland. And then um, he, I think he even was the, the heavyweight champion of OVW once. And then he gets called up and he has a very brief run with his cousin. They get rebranded instead of the Tolans. They're the dicks. And the gimmick was basically they were – pretty much Chippendale's male dancers and they would like use body oil as to cheat and for spots. And yeah, 2006 WWE. And they did not like you, like you were guessing that. No, I, I, I do not think they lasted very long on TV at all. And um, that's why he's here right now. So anyway, speaking of another OVW guy that was, had a small cup of coffee on SmackDown and then got released and ended up in Ring of Honor in 2006, Christopher Daniels defeated Brent Albright via pinfall in 12 minutes, 46 seconds, when he countered a La Magistral cradle into a pin of his own. I had a weird experience watching this match, Matt. Um, I think it might have happened for oh, no. did once you see, before. Did you see like a ghost in the window? <laughs> I saw the ghost of a crowd. Um <laughs> I, I think it might have happened to me once before in the history of doing this show, if that – where you know, sometimes when you watch a boring match or do a boring thing, time slows down. This match bored me to goddamn tears, yet when I checked the clock, I was like almost scared at how much of the match went by. Like I was – I watched it. I was watching this match. I was like, man, that was like a boring first two and a half minutes. And I looked at the clock, and the match was almost over. I was like, is this the start of early onset dementia? Like I really I, – I, I don't know how a match could bore me. That's, you, also, that's, you, like, that's usually – how it presents itself it's like a match <laughs> just seems fast watching brent albright and, albright and christopher daniels is, is is a troubling first sign but um brent albright so was making his debut here up to this point he had a very brief cu- uh, cup of coffee in the wwe on smackdown as gunner scott and had been recently released and he was on another guy he was like a top name in wwe's developmental in ovw he you know he came on in the last year cornet booked it he stayed pushed in the paul Heyman era that immediately followed it his most he noteworthy won their- his most noteworthy run was a feud with cm punk actually yeah because he he was the tag champ their tv champ and their world champ twice and he was the guy who dropped the OVW title to Punk for his OVW run. So yeah, that was like his big noble thing. I think was the maybe. I mean, I'm not an expert on Ohio Valley wrestling, but maybe like what fans looking back would know would like look at more is oh, he like feuded with Punk when Punk was in developmental and, and dropped the belt to him. And so you can see why he'd get a shot here, and you can see why Dayton, which is like the closest ring of honor market to OVW's home of Louisville, Kentucky, about like a two and a half hour drive is the best place to debut him. And in theory, Christopher Daniels is an ideal opponent. He's like an overtop name, one of the steadiest pairs of hands in the company. Matt, I thought this match kind of sucked. Um, what we get here is a match so basic that I felt like apart from a few spots, you would think this was a match that a student wrestler was having with a veteran where it was like they just told him, don't do anything but just show your fundamentals. Just prove that you like aren't going to break your neck. Albright spends most of the match working over Daniel's arm, which Daniel sells but never leads to anything really fun or meaningful except one big spot near the end where um, Daniels hits the best moonsault ever, but his arm hurts so much he can't cover. And then Albright throws on a really look weak looking arm submission. Now, granted in some ways that is like a big meaningful payoff, but the problem is to get to that moment. We get an entire match of the most basic 
back and forth wrestling. And there's a moment or two I did like. I, I did dig Daniels tries to do a headlock takeover at one point, and halfway through, Albright just stops and he takes Daniels back. And that was like a legitimately cool piece of mat work. Like it's so cool that this crowd, which was not a very reactive crowd, like pops for it. And I would have been happy if the entire match was basic and full of mat work. It was full of like cool little mat work like that. Would have would have been really happy with it. But that's like the one moment. And um, it's also weird because sometimes when people come to Ring of Honor, like they're they run around with their chick flying with like their like chickens with their heads cut off. They're trying to do a million moves, trying to really earn a spot, trying to impress the crowd. Albright isn't doing any of that. Like when you in the middle of the match, Daniels starts ramping up his offense a little, like just a bit. He starts doing a signature move here and there. He does like his STO. He throws a hard chop. He does a back body drop, things like that. But in the middle of the match, when Albright gets a chance to go back on offense, other than one overhead belly to belly, he just goes right back to slowing the match down with really rudimentary stuff. The one moment where Albright really gets the time to shine at the end is he hits a huge half Nelson suplex that looks great, looks deadly. And guess what? Like that's the other point in this match where Albright gets like a really nice pop work. And it, unfortunately, the match ends almost immediately after that, where Daniels goes for the, I mean, he goes for the law match to Straw. Daniels counters it. And I will say this, Matt, one of the, I, I, I'm 70% sure this was a chant. This, if it is what I heard, this is one of the funniest chants ever. Did you catch when Albright hits that half Nelson suplex? The crowd starts chanting, Albright's all right. Yes, I, that has well, to... I, I, was, I was actually going to interrupt you to say it, but I figured I'll let you have the uh, moment. But yes, I, I, uh, yes, I, uh, that, that was a, definitely a chant, and I, I liked it. This is such a weird moment for like a, such a quiet crowd to come up with a novel and cool chant. Like that sounds like something we would make up on through the years. Like that sounds like a, like as a joke. Like oh, they could chant Albright's all right. And so I also thought the commentary kind of made this worse because I know I'm ranting about this match, but like for some reason the commentary does what they always do when a WWE guy debuts the Ring of Honor, which is they talk about th- them being free of the politics and the shackles of sports entertainment, and they always compare whoever it is to James Gibson, who is clearly ROH's gold standard best-case scenario for when a WWE release shows up there, like how good it can turn out. And it's good to hype people up, maybe even in that exact way, but the problem is when you have a performance like Brent has here or some of Jimmy Yang's ROH matches, the commentary then comes off as silly. Like, I was just watching this match going, like, what shackles are off? Like, all I see are shackles here. Um... And it's sad because I thought the match, like the crowd was clearly willing to give Brent a chance. I do think they liked him, but again, maybe, maybe I'm over analyzing the crowd's reaction. Maybe this is like you were saying with the last match. This is just how the crowd's reacting to everything. They never turn on the match. They're polite, but I, I, I don't know. It's just. Even give Albright a please come back chant after. Yeah, I, I, I will say this. So to end my thoughts, I'll just say you recently, Matt, on the show, correctly called me out for overinflating a match rating for a match that, from a review where I clearly did not enjoy the match that much, and I almost still want to give it like above average or good. I want to let you know, Matt, you've changed me, sir. You've affected me. Honestly, like in a good way, I, I, it made me think about how I review things. I kept that in mind. And this watching this match, part of me thought, well, this is like a fundamentally sound match. Nothing is blown. It has a very simple, logical story. It has a, a couple of nice spots. That needs to be at least an average. But then I thought, Trevor, remember the lessons of your good friend, Matt Hoyerstein. <laughs> this match actively bored you. None of the, the, the things you talk about, like the fundamentals, all that stuff matter. If the match – like did this match entertain you or not? So I'm going to give this the very rare for Trevor Day month through the years – 
slightly below average ring because I feel like Ring of Honor has such a high floor. I think I gave a below average on the last show or or two shows ago, but it's very rare I give it out. I just was bored watching this match, man. Maybe I'm being hard on it. Well, you know, I think that's that's a fair way to rate something. Like if you found a match boring, like it's very strange to say like this. Well, yeah, this was as good as a match that was exciting, which is what I think I called you out on the first time. And the match that we were talking about two episodes ago that brought this conversation up was Daniels against Austin Aries. And that match bored the shit out of me. And I think that I liked this match slightly more, partially because it was a lot shorter than the Aries and Daniels match, which just kept on going in a boring way to very little crowd reaction. This one, yeah, I thought there was cognitive dissonance between the announcer saying we could see Brent Albright's agility and how Albright's going to be extra aggressive here because he wants to impress on his debut. But that was not reflecting what was happening, right? Where he was just doing like super basic wrestling with Daniels. Um, yeah, I mean, it's just I see it as a Christopher Daniels problem. Like he has some good tag team matches in 2006, but his singles matches are all just so basic and don't seem to aspire to much. It's uh, I mean, I know Brent Albright would have better matches than this and in not in in fairly short order um i can't, i mean i'll have to see i can't remember too many great christopher daniels singles roh matches in the rest of this run that he has you know so until he comes back many years later so i put it a little bit on daniels who just was like we're going to keep things basic and do it be fundamentally sound cuz i you know you know he can do that and um, maybe if Albright was debuting against someone else, they'd have more dynamic ideas. You know, obviously, again, we say it all the time. Daniels is great. Don't want to argue otherwise. But he obviously had a mindset during this run that was not conducive to exciting singles matches. And if Daniels comes out to the ring with like a big banjo on his head, presumably from like something in TNA that was probably far more exciting than this. Yeah. So, yeah, it is one of those guys maybe where he is starting to save some of his biggest efforts for the bigger promotion not um, not not starting to trevor <laughs> yeah okay yeah continuing to um i i will say i don't always read reviews of the shows that we cover other people's reviews but I, if i do it's always after i've like formed all my own thoughts and notes because i don't want to be influenced but for this this was this a match where i was like i have to see if i'm crazy here so i looked up some people and people for um there's a couple of people that have reviewed basically every ray Lauder show from this era that i Sometimes we'll check in on uh, you can four one four one one mania uh, Garoon and Ziegler. I apologize if I'm mangling each of the last names, but I remember one of them had a good point about this match where they were saying uh, during commentary that like they were they were saying like I think Prezak or someone was saying Brent Albright you know doesn't need you know away from WWE doesn't need like some fancy gimmick and, and the and they pointed out like. Brent Albright as Gunnar Scott did not have this a fancy gimmick. His gimmick was basically like he was a poor man's Chris Benoit. Like he was a very he wasn't put like like you could say that for Tank Toland as the Dicks. Like you could say Brent Albright didn't get much of a shot in, in WWE, but he was not one of these guys that was like given a Jimmy Wang Yang or Chad Dick style gimmick, you know. And again, like going to what we were saying about their commentary being kind of ill fitting, it just like. That wasn't Brent Albright's problem, but um, after the match, uh, Albright shit, almost leaves the ring. 
Then he charges back to the ring, then decides to almost leave again until the fans chant, shake his hand, and he does shake Daniel's hand. Uh, Daniels welcomes Brent to Ring of Honor, and the crowd, like you said before, does chant for Albright. I'll also point out that at the, uh, at the, before the match, the crowd chants SmackDown sucks, and Albright kind of encourages them once they start chanting it. And it's always interesting to see the wrestlers that leave WWE, the ones that like encourage the WWE sucks chants, and the ones that kind of freeze like, don't screw this up for me. Like, you know, I want to go back there because there are, there are different wrestlers that are like, you know, they just kind of freeze and there are wrestlers that you can tell really like it. Like, yeah, they did suck. You know, thanks for supporting me. And Albright was definitely more of the latter tonight. But um, that brings to a four corner survival match. Roderick Strong defeated Chris Hero, Mark Briscoe, and Tank Tone in 13 minutes, one second when he made Hero tap out to the Boston Crab. Matt, this is you know we talked about how the homicide promo might be the uh the best part of the show mark this being the first ring of honor show mark briscoe does not have his two front teeth and might be the most historically significant thing about yeah the show. yeah i had no i had no idea it was coming so quick yeah so but and, and i yeah i'll talk about the uh the folklore they put behind it in a few minutes but i'm sure you know the real story <laughs> Yeah, I'll 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 let you give the folklore, which is fantastic. But um, so uh, yeah, so this is a sto- this a story that um, Mark has told a lot. He's told it, I think, on Colt Cabana's podcast, Art of Wrestling, multiple times. He told it on AEW with uh, RJ City. Um, so what happened is like a week before this show, um, Mark is wrestling. Let me just I look at my notes just to make sure I get this correct. He's wrestling for Pro Wrestling Unplugged at the ECW Arena. They were doing a Pitbull slash Public Enemy Memorial Cup Tag Team Tournament show. And the first round was the Briscoes versus a tag team called the Crash Crew. At one point, Jay is looking to throw a chair shot, and he winds up the chair, and unbeknownst to him, Mark's right behind him. Chair clonks Mark right in the mouth, breaks his two front teeth off right at the gum line. And they finish the match. Mark actually does not work the rest of the show. They they have a different. I think Joker, the wrestler, indie wrestler Joker, is uh his sub is Jay's substitute uh, partner for the second round, and they lose in the second round. Uh, uh, PW Torch said that uh, Mark risked oh, missed a PWG show over the weekend because of losing four teeth as a result of getting hit with the chair. And so this might be his first. This is this happened like a week before this match. So this is probably like his first match. After getting all like his front teeth knocked out and, you know, Mark Briscoe, one of the more iconic toothless guys in wrestling. You, know, you When I think of guys without their front teeth in wrestling, I think of Mick Foley, I think of Kawada and I think of Mark Briscoe. So the birth of a great look, Matt, right here. Yeah, very much so. And when the match starts, um, Gabe gets on commentary to tell the whole true story, which is that Mark got into a barroom brawl and – after Mark got his teeth knocked out by the person he was fighting with at the bar, he just walked out of the bar calmly, or so we thought. Because later on, when that assailant left the bar himself, Mark Briscoe jumped off the roof with a shooting star press to finally win the fight many hours later. Um, and what was extra funny about this is that it led to a whole conversation with the announcers and Gabe about whether or not Mark Briscoe would have been fired by Bill Watts for this fight (laughs) because Bill Watts famously had a rule where if you were a wrestler who lost a fight to a member of the general public, you were fired because, you know, you got to protect the business. 
And so the question is, did Mark lose the fight or did the shooting star press mean that he won the fight, even though it happened later? And uh, only Bill Watts himself could answer a question like that. That's what I feel. Well, it's great because Gabe actually like says says and then like he comes like he he he, he tells the story, uh, his fake story of, of, of Mark you know, losing his teeth. And I guess I should have just let you continue. But then he like leaves the mic and then feels compelled to come back to do the Bill Watts anecdote. Yeah, and I um I actually want to know because I'm sure some people listening know has was anyone famously fired by Bill Watts for this for this reason? Do you know uh, an example? I'm sure there are, uh, but I, I don't know. I mean, I know Bill Watts was famous for like you were saying, like really trying to keep kayfabe you know wasn't the big famous story about junkyard dog when they did the blinding angle with the free bird hair removal cream that like they they told junkyard dog basically don't leave your house for a while like yeah or if you do pretend to be blind like like they went to very extensive depths to keep things real in that sense yeah but yeah like he, he so yeah gabe comes back on the mic and he's like you know he would have been fired when it he, you know, he did a shooting star press off the top of the building onto the, the guy later, and he would have been fired when he losing the fight, but he would have been rehired once he did the shooting star press. It's like it, – it's, it's, it's one of those adorable things because you can tell – you can hear the smell. The, the, not, you cannot hear the smell. <laughs> thank God. Thank God when I watch wrestling, Matt, that I cannot hear the smell. But, no, no, um, no, that, now that's really can, onset dementia. <laughs> you can hear the smile. Like when Gabe's talking, like he's just yeah. getting a kick out of saying something so ridiculous. He knows how ridiculous what he's saying is, but you can tell he's having a good time. Yes. Now, besides that, maybe it put me in a good mood, but this is starting a run, a stretch on the show. That is why I say that I don't think this show is really as bad as people make it out to be. I like this match a lot. I First of all, I thought that Mark... He was basically working babyface here because he was mostly working against Chris Hero, and Chris Hero was sort of the overarching heel in the match. And I thought that they had a really good sequence against each other. I, I even thought that Tank Tolan looked okay. I, you know, and it's funny because these very hilarious members of the audience thought it would be great to tell Tank Tolan that he's a dick because who would ever have thought of that joke? Yeah. Um, and uh, also made me wonder: was he at all in in 2018? If he was if he was a dick um yeah yeah anyway uh to that joke um they go pretty fast paced <laughs> you just got it <laughs> no I, I just like your reaction to going, okay that joke uh-huh. <laughs> you're like that was the joke now let's keep going <laughs> yeah. so like okay. the, the match starts off with a pretty fast paced wrestling sequence between Roderick Strong and Tank and I actually was like this is more dynamic than anything at that Brent Albright match like they're they're going at a much faster pace and doing much more stuff and um the uh the Mark versus Hero segment is actually the beginning of a pretty major long-term rivalry in ROH between the Kings of Wrestling and the Briscoes it stretches all the way until what 2010 or right at least yeah, I mean, yeah. Um, if you're a tag team, you're gonna be in the Ring of Honor. You're gonna be feuding with the Briscoes as long as you're yeah, you're yeah. a tag team. Soon. <laughs> true, true that. Um, but you know, they 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 do a fun spot where Mark has trouble taking Hero off his feet. You know, totally babyface spot, and Hero keeps taunting him until he does a leap, leaping tackle to take him down. Um, at one point, um, Mark makes sure to knock Hero to the floor off the apron before he hits an inside out double stomp on Hero. Um, 
keep going with that stuff. I thought Tank does a good job of showing some aggression. At one point, Hero sits on the entrance ramp to avoid getting involved with the others, which I thought was cute. At one point, Prezak says, Tank has a bright future in wrestling, which... You know, I know you can laugh at that stuff, but it actually it actually genuinely makes me sad when you watch old stuff and you hear someone saying that and you realize it didn't really pan out. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. like you know, you get the you get, you're watching in retrospect in hindsight, you kind of get to see who did and didn't make it. And so many of these ROH guys really did make it in a way, you know, became much bigger stars or at least had long careers. Um, I mean, look at you know, Chris Hero and, you know, Roderick Strong and Mark Brisker are both, you know, on national television today. And obviously Tank Tolan, you know, you know, didn't really have that much. Um, but, you know, there's so there's an extra homophobic crowd here in Dayton because when Tank blind tags Hero, the crowd chants, that was gay at every flourish Hero does, every role, every whatever, like they just obsessively say that he was gay um, at one point, Hero actually does a really cool Samoa Joe-style power slam on Mark, which did haven't seen him do too much in ROH. Then there's a spot that you shared, which um, was very fun, where Hero picks up Mark for an atomic drop, and Mark yells, whoa, whoa, before <laughs> Hero drops him down. And then you get a high-pitched shriek from Mark when Hero puts his thumb in his eyes, which I would actually do myself. I would do the high-pitched shriek if somebody stuck their thumbs in my eyes, uh, I would say. Um, and then, like, just for the more um, let-me-talk-to-you stuff, Hero yells, oh my god, before a strong backbreaker, which, again, I would also probably do. Um, then there they get to the, the spots where they're doing a lot of you know big moves on each other, and for somehow the referees manages to keep track of who's legal because at one point Mark does a running crossbody, but Strong gets his boot up, and then Strong covers Mark, but Mark's not legal. And then Mark just randomly does a big dive onto Tolan on the floor, and Hero sneaks behind with a schoolboy with the tights. Strong kicks out of that, and then Strong gets a gut buster, a Gibson driver, and a Boston crab on Hero, and Hero very quickly taps for the sudden finish. Um, I like. I thought Mark did great as a baby face in peril, and it made me look forward to them finally turning face because I don't think this heel run is their best version. Um, I thought Roderick did well in his hot tag. I thought Tank honestly looked better than Brent did, and I thought that Hero looked like he was having a lot of fun. And I thought I thought Hero's personality dominated the match in a good way. So I enjoyed it. So this is one of those matches where I didn't like as much as you, but. I still liked it, and I agree with pretty much everything you say. So, like, as a match, I thought this was—I was probably being a little harder on just because I'm looking at it in the context of the show, which I'm—it sounds like I'm going to be a little bit harder on than you. As a match, this is one of those matches where, um, if this was a show with great, a lot of great matches, you don't mind at all. This one feels more minor and lower stakes, and not like an all-action barn burner. Like Hero and Mark really do dominate this match, and here on this night. Like you were saying, he is just – this match is all about Hero's personality. He has turned up the volume of his character to another level, and he was already really deep in the Hero-ness. He is super Memphis wrestling heel here. He's doing – he's reacting to everything he's doing or everything – and everything that is being done to him. He is constantly talking to the fans, to the ref, to his opponents. He's gloating when he's winning. He's selling almost every move vocally in the most over-the-top way, like, like the vocal expression equivalent of like the pow, bam, like screen graphics during the old like 60s Batman show. He's he, not quite that bad, but like there's a one point where he, like he's in like some – 
move like i don't i think it might be a submission and he goes ah, 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 like the way you would if you touch something hot like he's so over the top <laughs> um and then yeah and the sad thing is he's not the most i'm not no it's the good thing i i because i enjoy it is like he's not the most over the top guy because yeah like that mark briscoe spot you have never seen someone sell an atomic drop like mark briscoe there where he's like, ah, ah. he like, wasn't he wasn't like even he, he wasn't even selling the atomic drop he was selling being picked up for the atomic drop he was selling the fear of it. He was treating it like it was an atomic drop off a building, like he, like he was about to fall seven stories or something. Um, so, yeah, we've talked about this era of Chris Hero before in depth, I think, on the Glory by Honor Night 2 episode we did with Bix recently. And I will kind of repeat what I said there, which is I get if people don't like this character, particularly if they don't weren't watching a lot of indie wrestling generally, they might not get it. And you might get it and just not like it. It's not for everybody. There's a because this was a quote unquote work rate promotion built around the these really action-packed, cutting-edged matches. And Chris Hero this time, being this really ass-showing, comical, over-the-top heel, I don't think he was trying to have bad matches. He was still trying to have good ones, and he would have good ones. But with this character, I don't think that was his sole priority. And for most Ring of Honor wrestlers, I think that was their sole priority. I think he sacrificed a little bit of action to be a heel, to be a character. You know, I always say the closest comparison in this era would be in Ring of Honor would be Jimmy Ray. But even that is different because this character is even broader and more comical and more kind of flashy than Jimmy Ray. So to me, I really like Heroes Act. I really enjoyed it like you during this match. And I really like having one match on a card on Ring of Honor feel this way. All that being said, I do think this really does stop the car, this match from being like, there's so much talent in this match. It could have been a really action-packed match. And it, the match slows to let Hero be Hero. And his personality just dominates the entire proceedings. Like, Roddy's barely this match. and I. But I will say, when he tags in late and does the classic, like, Roddy hot tag, the final maybe two minutes of this match are pretty hot and pretty exciting. And they probably could – and it's weird because it's like, I really enjoyed this match. But those last two minutes are like on a different night. You four could have had a match that was just like the last two minutes were like 13 minutes. It's like I like both matches, but I felt like this – both kinds of matches. But I felt like this show could have used one more like the latter where maybe a lot of other Ring of Marshals actually could use more of a match that was more levity like this. And I also – so I would give this again like an above average but like a strong above average. And I, I will say talking about Tank Toland, I agree with you. I thought – you know, it, it's sad. He is, you know, he's not going to really make it. And, you know, I don't know. Uh, we haven't seen a ton of his performance here. But, like, on this night, he's better than Brent Albright. And he looks like he's trying hard than the guy who, you know, makes it in Ring of Honor, quote, unquote. And, you know, he's not absolutely amazing. Like, he's not he's not doing the performance where I'm going, oh, you have to book this guy again. But he's perfectly solid here, and it looks like he's really trying. And, and, and you know, I like that way he like catapults himself over the top rope and into a drop kick before he even touches the the ground. I I really like that. And um, a couple other notes, Matt. Things we have to talk about. The, you talk, you were, you've been knowing the Jared David commentary. Did you notice he got a rare legit laugh out of Dave Prezak where um, after Mark Briscoe does a flying kick, Jared David says, the missing teeth appear to have made Mark Briscoe more aerodynamic. And, and that actually <laughs> Dave Prezak up. I thought, again, I, I, that was the point. I was like, you know, Jared David's having a good night. You know, like and he is yeah, like you're yeah. saying, he is he is getting there. You know, he's getting this comfortable. Must, th- th- this recording must have been the beginning of a recording session. Yeah, I mean, usually I think they would take the double shots, yeah, like, together, I imagine. So, yeah, this is probably, you know, the first hour or so into, like, a six-plus-hour night of work. So, yeah, you can crack the jokes then. 
Um, and keep and keep in mind, they had two double shots in a row because they had one this the, on the weekend that we're doing, and then the following weekend. So they probably recorded all four of those together. So when they get to the Philadelphia show the following Saturday, boy, I'd be curious to listen to how tired they seem. Yeah, we're we're gonna find out. Um, the other thing, Chris Hero is wearing the something happened between the last show and this ring of honor show and this one i believe is he and claudio won the uh the czw tag team title so chris hero comes to the ring wearing the ROH tag titles the jacquard tag belts which were the campeonata de pareja i think and then the newly won czw tag team titles and he's wearing all three around his waist like stacked on top of each other it is i know this is the intention it is the most fucking ridiculous dumbest looking thing in the world and we need to bring it back because i <laughs> heel a heel needs to win the continental crown and wear all three belts around their waist because it looked so stupid and it was so funny i i i i really enjoyed that too again that, that you know that's what Chris Hero is bringing at this point, that stuff like that. It's just so stupid. No one else in Ring of Honor is bringing that kind of energy and that kind of ridiculousness. Um, last thing, Tank Toland. The thing I remember about Tank Toland is, you know, during this era, like the year or two before this, the OVW tapes were like kind of a big hit among certain segments of wrestling fans like Brian and, and Alvarez and Dave Meltzer would always rave about it on their early podcasts together on the F4W site. And, uh, Tank Toland, I remember something that became infamous, and you can see this online for free on YouTube, where there's a segment they rave about. I think they overhyped it, but it is adorable, kind of. They do a segment where Tank Toland had just won the OVW world title, and he and Chad Toland go to a local mall, and they capture real footage of like, hey, do you want to meet the OVW champion? And all these real people are like – they either don't know who he is or don't care. It's kind of like making the company look bad, but like it's it's funny. And it ends with this with this kind of infamous thing where they go into a McDonald's in the mall, and Chad comes in first before Tank, playing a boombox with Tank's theme, and and then Tank walks in. He jumps on like a, a table at the McDonald's and says, "McDonald's, meet your McChampion," and then he's just like, "Ha ha ha ha!" And that's how the segment ends. And it's just it, it is. Is, uh, if you just Google, like, I don't know, Tank Toland at the mall or something in YouTube, if you search that, it should be there. And uh, th- in some ways, that might be the thing that Tank Toland's most remembered for other than the dicks. I don't know. I, I felt bad. I felt bad, like you said, about guys that um, you had a really good point there. Like, it, it, it's rough to see guys when you know they're not going to make it when there's You know what? You know, it's a different guy, but who makes me feel that way a lot, Matt? is homicide because like watching homicide it's like watching the guy who was like one of five star players on his on his like high school football team and every other player on the team like got a big NFL deal and had a big NFL career and that, he was like in, in high school he was as good or as close to as good as them but it just didn't work out it's a good point cuz like i don't think of him as much because like even though he obviously didn't reach that level of like mainstream and financial success that he deserved he's still remembered with this like hugely great legacy and like he's still talked about and he's still part of the business and like you know he's had runs on tv on on you know on tna and an impact and stuff like that um he's not like he didn't disappear from wrestling the way you know some of the other guys did um but you're right he i mean compared to his contemporaries he didn't get you know nearly the notoriety that he deserved yeah, it's it, 
Yeah, it's just I'm just trying to struggle to find words. Like he is an indie wrestling Hall of Famer, and I think some people would be glad to have an indie wrestling Hall of Fame level career because a lot of people won't be remembered. You know, he's not going to be remembered by millions by the masses, but to people like us, he will be very fondly remembered. His career is really appreciated, and his talents are appreciated. But like, yeah, it's just one of those things where because he he was a contemporary and kind of positioned as an equal. You know, I mean, he was our wrestler of the year for Ring of Honor in 2003, and you know great wrestlers there and he's like the the highest ranking guy in ring of honor in this era in a lot of ways who never really got to cash out and get huge exposure although like you said he did have some tv runs you know he's been in places you know tna you know even in wa billy corgan's recently you know it was nice it was nice at the first grand slam the main event of that rampage taping when it was um Eddie Kingston and John Moxley against uh, Lance Archer and Minoru Suzuki, and Homicide actually got involved at the end of that match and got to appear before that big crowd. And um, you know, I thought at that point, oh, maybe Homicide's going to be more involved in AEW, but it, it wasn't to be. Yeah, but um, after the match, Roddy's music isn't playing, which prompts what sounds like a real thing because, like, Roddy is not a heel here. Roddy like yells angrily, "Play my music, asshole!" at the sound guy who immediately <laughs> does play his music. <laughs> Um, and then right after that, Claudio occasionally attacks Roddy from behind. So I wonder if like Roddy knew they needed that cue or something for Claudio because he just really gets angry. He's like, play my music, asshole. Oh, and boy. then, um, and so Claudio and Hero take Roddy out. The crowd chants for Austin Aries as they put the boots to Roddy. Aries runs in, throws Hero out, attacks Claudio, and then the bell's wrong and we get to the next match. But, um, uh, yeah, that brings us to the next match. Um, Austin Aries defeated Claudio Castanelli via pinfall in 11 minutes, 20 seconds after he hit the 450 splash. So some news here, a big thing of the Ring of Honor timeline happens here. Well, not a giant thing, but um, we'll go to the Observer. Claudio Castanelli is in Deep South Wrestling getting a tryout. Everyone figured because he's tall that he'd be one of the first ROH guys to get feelers. And so, yes, the, between the last Ring of Honor show and this one, I think like a week before this show, Claudio works for uh, works a match for Deep Self Wrestling, like a dark match, which was like another of our, I mean, WWE's then developmental companies. And it was enough to get him an offer, but then that offer gets mysteriously rescinded in a mystery that continues on to this day, which we can get into on a future episode. But Matt, if you want a little bit of trivia, who do you, who who was Claudio's opponent for the dark match that got WWE interested in Deep South? Uh, no, I don't remember. It was Kofi Kingston. Wow. So guy still wrestling to this day as well. So yeah, it was Kofi Kingston and Claudio in a dark match for deep South. And um, so, yeah, for, so this match, maybe it's just because of how meh Claudio's ROH singles matches have been as during this 2006 heel run, or maybe it's because we're deep in the waters of a very middling B show undercards lately. Like not just the show, I guess a few shows, but I was pleasantly surprised that this turned out to be like a solid, like I would say good little match, like three and a quarter stars. Like I, this is my favorite match of the show so far. This was Aries's chance to get some revenge and storyline after the briefcase shot that cost them the titles. And he, Aries, to his credit, acted that, like that. He showed a bit of fire early. He's outright yelling at Claudio, like, you broke my ribs, so now I'm going to break yours. They get off to, like, a real hot start with some spots you don't just see every day. Like, they did this really cool bump early where Aries is standing on the ring apron. Claudio's in the ring, and he charges towards Aries. Aries, like, drop kicks Claudio's legs out from under from through the ropes out from under Claudio and Claudio like the momentum causes Claudio to fly over the top rope to the floor. Like it was just like, it's hard to describe, but it's just a really cool bump. You know, 
Aries does a d- off the top turnbuckle double axe handle to Claudio on the floor, who's sitting in a chair. Aries does that cool that he occasionally breaks up the cool like forward roll into a shoulder block. Um, and even when Claudio controls a little later, where it feels like on this, this run, that's where his matches really get boring, where they get really slow and basic. It, it's not really bad here because his segment is, con- is short, controlling is short, and it's broken up frequently enough by Aries that it's perfectly fine. I liked when Aries, when Claudio was cheating, grabbing the, doing the grab of the ropes abdominal stretch. Aries then cheats and grabs the abdominal stretch too. Like he wants that rib revenge, man. He wants to hurt his ribs. So yeah, I, I still on the last episode, like B show cards. I just want you to show me a few things that are unique that make the matches and the night stand out. And this match had a few of those spots, like I mentioned early and stuff like Aries reversing the Oppomary water slide into a crucifix bomb that looked neat. Really in under 11 and a half minutes, I just felt like this match had like six or seven moments that made me go, oh, that was neat. And like for an undercard, midcard match on a B-show, that's all I want, Matt. Like it made me say, oh, that was neat a few times, you know? Yeah, I thought Aries was fantastic here. Like showed I, show, I thought he showed more energy and fire than he has in any match since that initial rib injury in the Briscoes match. Um, you know, cause I thought he'd been kind of dull recently, honestly. Like he was, he was obviously good in the match against Danielson, but I still thought Danielson was the one who made that a great match. He was, I thought better in this match than he was in the Danielson match, even though the Danielson match was obviously a much better match in general. Um, but just his energy, his, his fire yelling, he's going to break Claudio's fucking ribs and targeting them. I thought Claudio was still a little bit basic, but like you said, you know, Aries got carried the match energetically. I think the thing that took this match down was like, I think this one was really hurt by the crowd. Like, I, I think that this match in front of a hot crowd would be remembered pretty well. Um, I think this match in front of a crowd that where most of the sound and the energy was coming from Austin Aries and not them uh, <laughs> kind of makes the match diminished a lot, honestly. Um, but I mean, wasn't the fault of the wrestlers. I don't think that Austin Aries could have done anything more than he did. And I was so happy that they, yeah, like you said, they started the match hot and heavy and kept it up. It wasn't like, oh, we're going to hit a big move and then we're going to like slowly go back into the ring and stare down and lock up and, you know, do like arm bars and stuff, you know, which is, I think, uh, something that's kind of beleaguered Ring of Honor in recent shows is just too much of the rudimentary starts. Like, obviously, it's a wrestling show and you want wrestling, but like when every match starts the same way and it's so freaking basic, it gets monotonous and it gets boring. And that's happened a lot recently. And this match, you know, kind of broke that mold in the in the way you'd want it to. Um, so I think Aries was one of the MVPs of the show in terms of, you know, lifting it in, out of the funk that the crowd was kind of uh, imbuing on it. You know what I mean? And, I, I you know, it wasn't enough to make this a great match or anything. But with Aries' performance, if the crowd had matched him, I think people could have thought this was a really good match. Yeah, I, I agree with you. Like, this is a crowd, obviously, where all the, all night long I'm going, oh, they're not reacting very well. But there are a lot of matches where I'm like, well, I can't completely blame them. But this was a match, like you were saying, where I was watching going, this match deserves more. Like, I, I felt bad for these guys. They're, they're, they're giving them better than the reaction they're getting. Um, 
But also, it's nice to hear you give the props for Aries. So we got like a late contender on the show for the Mad F Trophy challenging Homicide. Well, I, I'm gonna, I should start doing like handicapping favorites and updating the odds throughout the show. Like, <laughs> I, I forget, I, I'm not the expert on the betting odds of being like, you know, Homicide moves to a plus 120 with that comment from Matt. I, I think I'm handicapping it, but. After the match. I'll never tell. Your... No, actually, I will tell it at, at the end of the podcast. <laughs> you have to tell eventually. Yeah, you yeah, contracted to. It's part I'll of the deal him. we signed. Um, after the match, Chris Hero runs in, double leg takedowns, Aries, and he puts him in the Boston Crab. He and Claudio go to hit Aries with the KRS-One, but Roddy runs back out to save him, so continuing to build to a rematch with those teams. And it's now intermission. Dave Prezak is backstage with Jimmy Jacobs, Lacey, and Colt Cabana, and he who he and he just calls them Lacey's Angels, which gets I think Colt you can hear him softly say under his breath like what you call us, so they're they're kind of saying you know yeah. you know Colt certainly doesn't seem to think that he's in Lacey's Angels, but um, Lacey berates Jimmy for losing the match tonight and says if he doesn't. Win- when tomorrow, not only is Jimmy kicked out of Lacey's Angels, Lacey will make his life miserable. Lacey says if Jimmy is depressed now, watching her and Colt work so closely together, that's, this is just a taste of what real misery is like. At which point she jumps on Colt and starts making out with him to Colt's shock. And Colt at this point pushes Lacey away and gets angry and goes like, have a little consideration for Jimmy, which again – how much pro- progress we've made in like five shows where yeah. you know the Colt Cabana of two double shots ago would have loved hurting Jimmy's feelings and making out. And now he's like, like, don't do that in front of him. Don't be mean like that. I, I, I have to think that Colt must have stepped in and been like, listen, I don't want my character to be a dickhead. That's not me. Or maybe this was always the intention to really have him start out being like completely unsympathetic. Although actually, no, because this really does feel like a, a jarring change, but yeah. it's worked out well. But um, right. So Lacey tells Colt that, you know, now that you're in Lacey's Angels, you're going to do what I tell you to do. Colt just like laughs that off and walks away. And then Lacey continues to yell, yell at Lacey continues to yell at Jimmy when BJ Whitmer from out of frame spears Jimmy through the door of the backstage area where and they which takes them right into the backstage like parking lot or whatever and they just immediately start brawling outside and that's how the segment ends and I thought that was like an awesome chaotic yeah, ending because very good blocking a very good segment I'd say in every single way everybody everything worked in this segment. And it was like, you know, sometimes, you know, Gabe was really good at having like two feuds go on at the same time. And this was an example of it, like literally like one feud literally crashing into the next where, you know, you're just kind of not even thinking about BJ Whitmer because you're thinking about like the cold Jimmy Love Triangle storyline. And all of a sudden you just remind, oh, shit. And BJ Whitmer just like <laughs> fucking spearing this guy through the door. So, yeah, really nice little segment there. Um that brings us to Davey Richards defeating Jay Briscoe via pinfall in 14 minutes, 58 seconds after he hit the uh, DR driver. Um, Matt, this is the battle of uh, the finishers that are very similar. Just the, 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 the Jay driller is basically the DR driver, except you drop the guy between the legs. And I, I'll say this. I, I referenced earlier another time I thought Jared David Good did good job on commentary tonight. Give him credit here. He really tries to sell us. Like on commentary, he's like the difference between the J driller and the DR driver is that the DR driver is more impactful because the head's completely exposed. Like the legs aren't even touching his head, but it also takes a little more effort because you have to kind of pull the guy to the side. And I was like, God bless you. Like you're, you're trying like, like, you know, I was actually kind of buying it. I was like, yeah, that is right, Jerry, David. It is more impactful. 
So good, like again, a good, really good night for Jared David. But what do you think about this? Yeah, I'd say this is another match where like this could have been considered a hidden gem if it was in a different setting with a different crowd. Because even though it didn't tell a super coherent story, the guys worked really hard. They were stiff. They went at a fast pace. This is another match that started hot and heavy. Which at this point, just in my Ring of Honor rewatch, it's just like I'm really craving that, as you could tell from what I'm saying. So. I, that that always gives bonus points for me. They start off by trading forearms and strikes, and some of them actually get pops from this crowd. Um, and you know they they start doing the thing early where they're teasing, going for their big move, and they escape. Like Jay escapes to the floor after a butterfly brain best um, brain buster attempt. Um, you know they fight over a test of strength. Um, at one point, Jay goes for a pescado, and Davy gets his foot up, kicking Jay on the way down, which I thought was a cool spot. Um, you know, they, they work a cravat. There was actually one point where Davey leans in on his kicks, leans on his kicks in this one, and he gets the crowd going. Like he get, he even gets a, a you sick fuck chant after one of his kicks to Jay, which you don't usually don't hear just for kicks. Um, and speaking of people talking to the crowd, there was another spot where Jay works a, a stretch plum, and Davey makes the ropes as Jay yells, "Stop clapping!" at the crowd who were cheering Richards on, and it made me want to say, Jay. This crowd's finally making some noise. Don't tell them to stop. <laughs> but unfortunately, they kind of listen because they're not that loud. As you know, they're they just they they're they're just going back and forth, back and forth. The match isn't super long, but it's a pretty goes at a pretty good fa- pace. They never really let up. Um, you know, down the stretch, there's a spot where um, after Richards hits a leaping Rana, Jay moves out of the way of the corner charge that Richards does. So Richard leaps to the top rope. Back flips off. Jay comes at him with a running boot, but Richards traps the leg and suplexes Jay. I thought that spot was awesome, just like every single piece that set it up. Um, they, uh, you know, uh, Richards does his Saido suplex. He does his bridging German suplex, gets a near fall off of that. Um, Jay hot shots uh, Davy and hits a falcon arrow, gets a two count off of that. Then they trade slaps mid-ring, and then Richards hits the handspring kick, but Jay pops up, hits the running boot, and both guys collapse, which was supposed to be a, an applause break, but the crowd didn't really do it, even though you could tell that. I thought the crowd was appreciative. There was just something about them that they could they just couldn't get themselves up to do that applause break spot. Um, but then Jay goes for the Jay, Jay driller. Um, Richard gets a backslide for two, and then hits the DR driver suddenly, because, you know, it is more impactful. He gets the win. Um, yeah, I... I really like this. I thought this this again on a different show. This could have been a considered a great match. See, this is a match where we're pretty far off because to me, this was above average again. Like that rating I'm using, it, it, it just a lot of these matches were to me in that above average the range where for different reasons. Like there were some matches where I was like they were kind of consistently at like a six out of ten, and there were some matches where they were like a four out of ten, but with a couple eight out of ten moments, and so it averages out to a six out of ten. This was kind of like – to me, like I can see why other people would like this more than me, including you. Um, this is the kind of match I thought these two would have against each other, and I wish I wasn't right, where the Briscoes were in a career phase at this point where you know, we, we've talked about a lot on recent episodes where they were all action, 110 percent effort, but very little psychology of story. And that was kind of a, a criticism foisted on uh, Davey Richards – a lot for a big chunks of his career. And so you get this match and it's, to me, it's nothing but two guys working pretty hard, doing moves back and forth and leaving me kind of cold. And I can see why other people would like it more because it is good effort here. And there are some exciting moves, but 
sometimes in wrestling you hear people say like, oh, we, we you know, do do get less with more. I mean, get more with less. You know, like, you, you know, you, you know, we're going to work the marks. We got to do as little work as possible, but get the biggest reaction. And that's the art of wrestling. And in some ways that is true. In some ways, that's kind of a very dour, <laughs> dismissive way of looking at your audience. But I felt like this match was kind and, of and, and, by the, and by and by the way, you know, a lot of people, a lot of wrestlers say that about you know that about the art of wrestling. But there aren't that many wrestlers who I think live that. It seems like most wrestlers want to work harder than they say they should have to work. You know what I mean? Like it seems like that's like a kind of a romantic idea of like, oh, we're gonna you know be work real smart, not hard. But I think it seems like most wrestlers like to impress the crowd and do a little bit more and put give give more of themselves than 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 all that. Especially, I think it's, you're right. Especially in modern times, I think more wrestlers feel that way than ever before. I think that's more, more, much more prevalent old school mentality. Yeah, but even the it, even the ones who say that about the old school stuff is like when you act like MJF, for example. Like he'll say that about like a, you know you want to you know um, work smart and like you know wrestling's about protecting yourself. But then you watch him wrestle, and he he works really hard, and he takes a lot of bumps, and he damages his body just like the rest of the guys. You know. Yeah, he will say, I'm trying to teach the guys a different flavor of ice cream. I'm trying to do things to show you don't have to kill yourself. And then he'll dislocate his hip doing a top rope dive to the floor once uh, – onto the floor because the table broke. You're just going to say, I'm going to do it anyway. So like, yeah, he, even he is – but it also kind of reminds me not to get sidetracked, but like you talking about this where I feel also a lot of those crusty old rushes that did that less with more – they don't. They, they don't really believe in that as like the art of wrestling. Because there is an argument that that's part of the art of wrestling, get getting more out of doing less. But like a lot of them, they just say that to justify being lazy. Because I remember there was like a shoot interview where like Chris Hero was giving advice to wrestling students, and they taped it. And one of the things he said was like in his experience, like he was a fan of calling in the ring. Basis in my experience, like a lot of these veterans, when you work with them, and they say, "Oh, let's just call in the ring." That's what wrestling is. It's because they just don't want to be bothered to like think about the match or do any work or like talk to you for five minutes before the match like it's not this really i believe this is how wrestling should be it's because it's easy for them you know just to go yeah you know it's the same with a lot of this stuff like do you really believe in doing less or is it just because doing less is is is, it's easy but anyway um that's a long way of me saying i thought this match was the opposite i thought they were getting less doing more i felt bad that i was not more drawn into this match for the amount of work they were giving um and this was, I think, the, sh- the match where I noticed I, – I think you kind of alluded to this. The, uh, the, the like 10 people try and start a, a, a clap and it doesn't take. And I think I was thinking if I was a wrestler, I'd rather the crowd be silent than 10 people clap because if the crowd is silent, you can just tell yourself maybe this is not like a clapping crowd. But they're enjoying it. They're just enjoying it quietly, which maybe for some of the show they were. But when 10 people start a clap and no one else does, that's almost like some people saying, hey – this is pretty good, right? And I'm not saying it's not clap worthy. <laughs> and the, the, that would make me feel bad. How's a wrestler in the ring? Like, why, why, why aren't you clapping with these people are clapping? But anyway, um, I thought you could have a really fun match. There's nothing but action, even if nothing is shaping the match. But for that, I think you have to go absolutely insane and pull all the stops. And instead, these guys worked hard, but I felt like mid card hard. And, uh, you know, they gave me a level of effort that made me feel guilty, but not an effort that actually won me over. I, I was just kind of numb by this match. And I, I don't know. It, it, you know, you do get some big stuff. You get, you know, Davey's usual crazy down to the floor, Jay's big top rope leg drop. You get big spots here. It's just, I don't know. I, I, I wish I liked it as much as you, Matt. Um, what can you do? 
<laughs> we then get an ad for FIP's second year spectacular night one. As is usual with FIP promos on these Ring of Honor shows, you see nothing but a bunch of wrestlers walking through the curtain, not a single second of in-ring action or even an indication of who is wrestling who on the show. So it's like, it was literally like, hey, do you like Ring of Honor wrestlers? Some of them are also here. Please buy these DVDs. Like, it, it, there's nothing selling you here on the show. So, But um, we're used to it by now. It is funny, though. Yeah. Um, and that brings us to Delirious defeating Matt Seidel via pinball in 24 minutes, 28 seconds with the chemical imbalance too, which is a, like a pump handle driver. Um, this was an interesting match to me. Usually when I feel like you could cut a big chunk out of a match, I, I'm saying that as a negative, it means like there's like a lot of flat fat you could have trimmed stuff. That's just filler that doesn't serve the point to me, Matt, like the Fat in this match was kind of the point. It was kind of like what you came for. This match is almost 25 minutes long. I honestly think you could, if you're just looking for action, you could cut the first 15 minutes out of this match and not miss a ton. Maybe a few nice sequences, but you know, there's a lot of basic, really basic mat work. There's the, the a lot main, of the, the, main, the main thing you would miss is Delirious going working the nerves. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And yeah, you would miss a ton of comedy, but here's the thing in this match, the comedy is the most over thing. I think not just in this match, but probably on the entire show. I don't think we've ever heard a crowd laugh as much for a match as the first 15 minutes of this match. Like they, it's almost like a comedy show. Like they are, they're just, they're laughing at everything delirious is doing. Everything is working for, for him on this night. Um, I might be wrong on this, but I think it's former guest of the show, Phil Schneider, used to say years and years ago running reviews, he would sometimes occasionally criticize Kevin Steen, some of his performances on the indies, as a stand-up comedy wrestler in the sense of some of his matches, he would do a ton of crowd work where like a lot of the fun of the match would be just him engaging the crowd and interacting with them and talking with them and playing off of them. And, you know, some people love that. Some people, I think, like Phil, thought that was to a detriment. And... Delirious in this match, if you're watching for the first 15 minutes, it's a different kind of comedy, but it is basically what he would describe. I think it's it's, it's like stand-up with some wrestling thrown in. It's him just doing goofy delirious bit after goofy delirious bit. And again, I was I enjoyed it well enough, and I can't fault them when it is it's like the most over thing on the show. And in fact, when they get to the final 10 minutes and they and they flick that switch where they go, okay, we're going to take out all the comedy. We're just going to get to serious and have a good match now. The crowd gets quieter, I thought. You know, like they're not as into the wrestling as they are the delirious comedy. And I have said I keep saying this, but like this is a point I keep going back to revisiting 2006 Ring of Honor. Yes, the delirious act would eventually get stale to me and a lot of other people. But man, when it was fresh this year, it was like shockingly over on a lot of these shows. And then the other interesting thing to me about this match, Matt, is um, these guys have wrestled each other a million gajillion times. I looked on cage match. I think these guys, if you have re- re- in their careers, wrestle each other, if you count singles, tags, and multi-mats, mat- just matches where they're across the ring from each other wrestling each other 61 times. Like they did in IWA Mid-South, Ring of Honor, Dragon Gate, um, UK, Austria, even a six-way match together in TNA. I think this is match 48 that they had wrestled each other. And I'm always like fascinated when you've wrestled someone that much, like how do you approach it? How do you keep it fresh? You know, this is their third match against each other just in Ring of Honor in the last couple months. And I think 
a lot of times wrestlers in their position, they almost make their matches modular. Like they have a, different pieces and sequences that they know how to do. And they every match they work together after a while, it's like, well, we can fit this sequence from this show with this sequence. Like the example I always give is Randy Savage versus Ricky Steamboat at WrestleMania 3, which they have – Ricky Steamboat literally said that was like a greatest hits of our house show matches where we we like numbered the moves because Randy loves plying matches out that way. Like we did them in order and it was literally like, you know, how about you do the drop kick spot we did on that house show in Philly? And how about we, – oh, we could do that skin the cat spot you did in Chicago, you know, and, and, and stuff like that. And I – I feel like watching the delirious – I've seen Seidel and Delirious work each other enough now to know it feels like they have all these different sections that they can do. Like they can do the Delirious and Seidel just do comedy with each other bit. They can do the kind of pointless killing time for five minutes mat work bit. They can do like the mid-level match. They can do the go nuts that we saw at – um survival of the fittest 2006 the final 10 minutes just all balls to the wall version and i like they got all these different like kind of modular parts that they can swap in and out depending on the setting i felt like getting 25 minutes it was kind of like you saw all those parts and it almost it didn't kind of necessarily feel cohesive it was just like oh we're getting a lot of time let's do like literally every single thing we know how to do like so every bit of it the, the 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 kind of drawn out mat work the comedy the action um because of that, I could see different opinions on this match. I think if you were live, you'd probably love this match because of the comedy. It plays even better live. Um, you get some thrills at the end, but this is – as someone who has just seen their Survival of the Fittest match and seeing that this was a semi-main event, getting 25 minutes, I expected it to be like more of a crazy wild match that was trying to top that match. It doesn't top that Survival of the Fittest match. It's completely different. And even those final 10, if you just compare the final 10 of this to the 10 in Survival of the Fittest, I don't think this is on that level. So I would say it's like the best match of the show so far. It's like three and a, three and a half stars maybe. It's a strong good to me, but it is – you know, this was a show that could really have used the show stealer. It really needed its top two matches – to be really great because they hadn't had like that kind of show stealer earlier in the card. And instead it's just, it's, it's pretty good. I would say. Yeah. I would say I basically agree with you. Boy, did these two work hard though? You know, like they just, they did everything. In fact, at the end of the match, as Delirious is walking out, he's hugging some fans in the front row, and you could hear him say, "I am so tired." And yeah, I, in, in like a real voice. Yeah, like yeah, yeah, not- yeah. I don't think I don't think he was in character when he did yeah. that. Yeah. So like they they did it. Like they worked their asses off. And yeah, I think I do think as always. I, I think before a different crowd, this would come off different. And I think they might have even done less of the comedy stuff before a different crowd. Like I think they were just like, "Let's this crowd's quiet anyway, so let's just kind of have fun with them." You know, like um, at the beginning of the match, I'll try to go through some of the comedy stuff. Like the beginning of the match, Delirious, he points to Matt Seidel and he goes, Matt Seidel from St. Louis, Missouri. And I thought, good job pronouncing Missouri as per a lizard man. Although, you know, if you listen to political pundits, if you want to win the state of Missouri in a presidential election, you have to pronounce it Missouri. Did you know that? Because that's what (laughs) TV pundits tell me. Um Maybe this any- is mean, but I'm going to say when you said speaking – we went lizard men and then went speaking of political puns, I thought, oh, shit. Matt's going to mention James Carville right oh. now. You know, I didn't say it. <laughs> I'm not – I don't say any stuff like that. That's you. You're the mean one. <laughs> um, uh, so um, then there was another spot where um, Seidel was talking about Delirious's tassels and saying, I'm going to rip every one of those off your head. And Delirious responds with <laughs> – to the crowd well, – to which the crowd chants, you got served. <laughs> 
which I thought was pretty funny. Um, there was another spot where um, Delirious rolls through a springboard sunset flip. And then he shouts, what the fuck? As he sees Seidel springing off. And then um, he hits Seidel with a kick to the chest. Um, in a way, during this early like comedy spot, Seidel, Seidel is actually working heel in a way. like Not cheating, but like showboating, taunting, because the crowd loves Delirious so much. There's another spot where Delirious is grinding his forearm into Seidel's face while yelling, rub, 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 rub. Which I guess I guess it is a way of rubbing, I suppose. Then there's that spot where he puts the nerve hold on and he goes, Work the nerves and he looks around and goes, <laughs> We're working the nerves. And the crowd just the crowd is very cooperative there. They're, they start chanting, Work the nerves which again I guess something got the crowd going. And at this point I wrote like this is one of the most athletic comedy matches I've ever seen. Then there was another spot later on where um, I don't even think he meant this as comedy, but Seidel uh, basically leaped off the top rope with his cannonball leg drop, and he basically decides to sing "Cannonballs" <laughs> as he's doing it, <laughs> which is new. I don't remember him doing that before. And and I was like, if you're going to sing "Cannonball," you should sing the Breeders' song "Cannonball," not this new version of "Cannonball" that you just made up. But, <laughs> Can you remember a time where Seidel sang Cannonball before hitting I'm the I'm sure he's drop? probably done it once or twice, but that is not typical. I mean, maybe it's also like we've both been saying, this crowd is so quiet. You can hear everything at this point. Like, yeah, that's true. Um, but yeah, and like there's another spot where like they also do a thing on the show where they're they're calling their moves a lot more, I guess because of the quiet crowd. Like, there was another spot where Delirious actually yells, panic attack, when he does the panic attack, but Seidel moves. Delirious does not usually yell that. And then Seidel yells, here it is, before the here, here it is driver. That, of course, is something Seidel does. That's actually yeah. why it's called the here it is driver. But I thought it stood out more in this match because everyone was doing it. Um, then there was another spot where Seidel hit his shadows over hell, and he yelled that too. Shadows over hell. So they're really going for it. There's also this spot near the end where they just do an excessive amount of roll-ups. For two counts, like just like so many to the point where like I wish the crowd had more energy because they had so much energy. But yeah, in the end, I basically agree with you about the match. Um, the crowd was too quiet. They were the, – the, the momentum never really built. It was too many different things. But I have to respect how hard they worked because they worked their asses off. Yeah. Nothing dated this show more than – when Delirious is in that master lock, I mean the full Nelson going, no, 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 no master lock. And the crowd chants, fuck Chris Masters. So I was like, oh, yeah, this is the time when people <laughs> hated Chris Masters. And instead of when he, he came back and then he actually was like kind of good. And then it took some time for people to slowly realize that like, oh, like Chris Masters actually isn't bad anymore. You know, he's he's gotten better. Um, at one point, uh, Delirious tried to start a Colt Cabana chant and Seidel like earnestly asked the ref like, make sure he knows who he's wrestling. <laughs> Like, I'm not Colt Cabana. Um, and there were some cool spots. Like, uh, even though I was also wrote my notes, you know two guys have wrestled each other a lot when they're now doing the we do each other's finishers to each other. Because I'm glad you point out, like, you know, Seidel does shells over the hell. I think Delirious does the here. He does the here it is driver, I think. Maybe. I think, so. I'm not, I think, I'm, I think he does, yeah. Yeah, so you know, this they have clearly reached the Rock Austin you know stage of their careers where it's like – you know, we're deep in this. You know, what's the new wrinkle? Uh, you do my stuff. I'll do your stuff. You know, just the, Kenny, that. Kenny um, Omega and Okada. 
Yeah, exactly. You know, when you've wrestled each other that much, you get a right to do that. Um, and there, one other thing you talk about, like interactions. One thing I noticed was before the match starts, during his en- during his entrance, a fan in the front row flips off Matt Seidel right to his face, and it's kind of being a dick. And so Matt Seidel, late in the match, goes, "Let's finish this off," and then he points to that guy in the crowd and goes, "For you." And I just thought, <laughs> Matt Seidel, you're such a dick. <laughs> I, I I just I just like that. You know, like it's, you were saying, like Seidel did lean into it. You could tell that Matt Seidel, even back then, had a lot of personality. He had a very hard time showing it in like a normal pro wrestler way at the time. You know what I mean? Like, it, yeah. like he came off as sort of stiff, but like when he showed personality, like almost like goofy in a way that didn't really fit what he was trying to do. Like I think he eventually got closer to putting it together in a way that made sense. But during this era, it was it was a weird dis- cognitive dissonance I had between like his obvious personality and quirkiness and his sort of like bland wrestler persona. Yeah, that's a, that, that's a great point because we've talked before on the show about like there are wrestlers who like Roderick Strong or Dean Malenko who are known to have like good personalities in private, but they don't show it really in the ring or in promos. But like you're kind of saying, the difference with Matt Seidel is he does show it in the ring, just not on promos or yeah. like in a, like a formal setting. But like in the matches, you do like yeah, in this match you do see oh like this guy's charismatic. He is you know, riffing, he, you know, and he's not shy about it, but yeah, there's just some people when you make it more formal, I, you just lose it for some reason. But, um, I also like to, I also like Seidel fighting off the, the never ending story clotheslines, which Delirious has really been going crazy with. He only lets him clothesline a few times and then he just starts like punching, hitting his arm as it comes in. And Delirious keeps trying a few clotheslines and he just keeps hitting it till it stops. And I thought, oh, that's like a, a good counter. Like, I'm just going to keep punching your arm when you try and clothesline me. Um, so after the match, the crowd chants, that was awesome. Delirious hugs a couple of fans. And this is where we hear him tell in like his real out of character voice, I am so tired, like you mentioned. And so, yeah, this was another match where, again, like weird crowd where Really love the comedy. They were quiet for some of the action parts, like too quiet. But then when the match is over, they're giving it, this was awesome. So just a very mixed, weird crowd. So next, the Midnight Express theme music plays, but quickly changes to Adam Pierce's Black Betty theme. Out comes Jim Cornette with Adam Pierce, Steve Carino, and Shane Hagedorn behind him. So now he recognizes Shane Hagedorn. Must be mad not by now. In the ring. Cornet gets on the mic and he says he has a sore throat tonight and a pissed off disposition. And we can and tell his voice is indeed hoarse. A few fans chant, shut the fuck up. And Cornet then says, you know, the only thing missing is a female or two between the bunch of you. And then he says the F word slur for gay people, which going to your point, Matt, of this crowd being pretty homophobic, gets a huge, oh, snap, like baby face reaction from the crowd and some applaud. This is the thing they'll applaud tonight, Matt. They'll, they'll applaud this. And then. Carino laughs and then says your uh, F-word yeah, yeah. slang at the yeah, fan. Yeah, Carino doubles down on it. Yeah, and uh, Cornet calls Dayton, Ohio, the armpit center of the world, and the fans a bunch of Buckeye bastards. Cornet says he's sick of explaining himself. If you want homicide, you're going to get homicide because I have some people here who hate me. I mean, hate homicide as much as I do. They're going to make sure he, he doesn't get to December. Adam Pierce gets on the mic. He introduces Steve Carino. Carino then gets on the mic and says, it's been such a long time since he's been to Columbus. I think I miss a hurt. You know, he's doing the gimmick where he doesn't know what city he's in. And then he has to be told. And I might have misheard this, but I think he calls Dayton, Ohio, Dayton, Ohio. So just really piling it on. 
He calls the fans fat and ugly, says he's never seen so many pathetic losers in his entire life. A few fans start a Steve Carino chant at this, which gets Steve mad. He goes, look, if I wanted you guys to cheer for me, I'd come out here and go, rah, 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 cheer for me. Sit down, fatsos. Carino actually, at this point, he actually, I swear to God, breaks out the hokey, this guy is so fat he had to buy two seats lying. He says there are 500 virgins of the crowd, which is a very generous estimate of this attendance. Um, Pierce points out a woman in the front row and says she's always on her back and date and her knees are in two different zip codes. Carino then says it doesn't get much hotter than this. Well, well wait, wait, so you, wait, 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 wait. So you see, you see, Trevor, the, the, what they're trying to say with that line, because, because basically Carino's like, oh, I've, uh, every, you know, there's, there's so many virgins in this crowd. And then um, Adam Pierce, like, not everyone, this, this woman right here in the front row, her, you know, her legs are in two different zip codes. So you see what they're trying to say is, a man is bad if he doesn't have sex, and a woman is bad if she does have sex. So they're they're basically hitting every regressive, offensive concept that they possibly could on this one promo. And then Carino says, doesn't get much hotter than this. So homicide to the cherry on top, get your black ass out here. <laughs> Jesus. We're so ridiculous. <laughs> it's just this is like such a bad promo. It's just like I mean, I get it. Like they're going for heel heat, but like it's the. I mean, it's the lowest hanging, cheapest heel heat you could possibly ask for. Like, and you know, they throw it racism, homophobia, sexism, uh, basically every single ism that you could get to in a promo. Like they could fit into a promo like this. And um, yeah, I think that all of these guys could have done better. They 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 more are more talented than that. But I guess there's something to them, like especially Carino, I think like he gets such a kick out of the cheap heat, you know, like he's just like, "Oh, I'm I'm being a real heel here. Old school." But I think he could do better. Yeah, like We've seen, obviously, segments that age like rotted fruit. We've seen bad segments, offensive segments before. You know, there's always lots of debates about what a heel can be allowed to do and times change. All that. I'll just, I will say, there, there, some segments there's offensive stuff where I go, I can acknowledge it's offensive while also acknowledging the segment worked on some level or had good delivery or other attributes. I think even if you take away the offense of this, this was just, as you were saying, so cheap. And I'll just say it lazy. Like, yeah, like, lazy. They, they, like these guys, Cornette and Steve Creel are great promo guys. They're both very charismatic. And the charisma stay okay through. But they both just felt so like half-assed like, like compared to what they're both usually do, even in Ring of Honor. And even the Creel – I mean the Cornette one, I almost felt like him going, you know, I'm not going to say the same things I've been saying lately. It was almost like an admission that like he's been doing the same promo for like four shows now. Like just the Yeah, same- I'm, sh- I'm sure – listen, I, listen we, we criticize Cornette, but like that guy takes pride in his work and I am sure – sure that he was like all right i've said this shit enough already i'm not doing this promo again you know like I, i'm sure he was sick of and almost like probably embarrassed about having to do the same the same thing over and over and over again yeah and again for a show that could have used a lot and you know little little wins up and down the card could have used like some that things that overachieved you know two really good mic people getting on the mic right before the main event and they just give you this and it, it just just the most hackneyed jokes Cornette basically being like yeah i'm i'm, I'm out of ideas just it, it's just yeah and as, as to Cornette's i mean maybe we should give Cornette a little bit of slack apart from the homophobia because we'll read from the uh tna section of a wrestling observer during this period dave Meltzer would write 
after doing the next two weekends for Ring of Honor, Jim Cornette will only be doing the pay-per-views and the TV after the pay-per-views as far as stuff for the rest of the year. He'd gotten the sick the first week of September, but was working through it. And at the TNA pay-per-view, his voice was gone and doctors told him to not to talk for an extended period of time. So apparently he had just blown – and you can tell, listen to this, like he's blown out his voice. So yeah. for a guy that you know, his whole job in wrestling at this point was talking – Worst thing that could happen to you is losing your voice, but um, still, it's still his job to this day. Yeah, yeah, and uh, unfortunately, it's in better condition now. But um, oh, try, brings try, us try, to the main <laughs> brings us make, to condition making make make enemies up and down the street. Ah, well, that's uh, he's got bigger fish to fry and far more success to have. Um, but weren't you like, weren't you like called by Brian last once, like the goofball of the week or something like that? Yeah, yeah, Brian Last is not a fan of me. Well, well, and, well, well, uh, what was, I, I, the, whatever he called you, it was very funny. I, I don't, like not like funny, yeah. like not a funny like a good joke, but like funny like it's a very silly thing to say about somebody. Yeah, yeah, like like he, he he's got a very not to pick he's got a very like morning zoo crew vibe to like a lot of stuff he does like you know he's the dunce of the week, Wong, like just that kind of shit. But um, boy, it would have been better if, I, <laughs> if we got the Wong. Duds of the week, duds of the week. But um, <laughs> that brings us to the main event: uh, Homicide Samoa Joe defeating Adam Pierce, Adam Pierce and Steve Carino with Jim Cornette and Shane Hagedorn in their corner in 17 minutes seven seconds when Homicide pinned Pierce after a lariat. So uh, yeah, this is probably from a marquee standpoint one of the weakest Ring of Honor main events. I mean. I guess the selling point is it's Homicide and Carino back in the ring against each other, although but, but they did face off of the t- – Oh, go on. I was going to say, especially, no, in the, especially in this era, Adam Pierce really was not a marquee guy in ROH. You know what I mean? Like if you see if you yeah. see a main event and Adam Pierce is in it, it's like that's that's a weak lineup at this point in 2006. Despite the fact that he's coming off like his best work in Ring of Honor, like he did really good job during the CZW feud. But yeah, yeah. It, it hasn't translated to people being like, oh, I really want to see a main event with Adam Pierce in it. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I, I guess the draw with this would be it's Homicide and Joe teaming together, which is kind of a novelty, except if you've been buying all the DVDs, they'd already teamed together. Now, this is not even the second time they've teamed together. And the Carino novelty of, oh, it's Carino and Homicide reawakening a, a legendary rivalry, except – we had also seen that and entered the Dragon in late 2005, and that was being, them being opposite sides of a tag team. We've seen them have another singles match together, and neither of those like set the world on fire. So it's kind of like grasping at straws. But what do you think about this as a match? Because obviously the, the marquee standpoint and how the match is can be two completely different things. Well, this was relaxed rules, right? So it was hard not to compare it to the brawl that Homicide and Joe had on the previous show, which – also, which was obviously like so much more dynamic because they did the whole sequence outside and the Briscoes were in it. So like, you know, the Briscoes really honestly carried that match. Um, not that, not that Joe and Homicide weren't good, but like that match was all about the shit the Briscoes were doing. And there were no Briscoes in this match. So I guess what I'll say in a, the positive sense of for this match is they, it was not slow. You know what I mean? Like they were moving the whole time. They were, they were doing a lot of stuff. They got into the crowd. They were, you know, they, they, they hit some big spots. Uh, you know, you got a Joe's going to kill you chant early from the crowd. Homicide was biting Carino's arm. And when the ref tried to break it up, Homicide like kicked at the ref. So I guess, I guess the rule is so relaxed that Homicide's allowed to do that. Um, Homicide hot tags Joe early, but the, it is, I put hot in quotation marks because crowd was still quiet, even though all these stars were there. Um, 
you know, they uh, Homicide and Carino, they trade fast-paced strikes mid-ring again to no reaction. Uh, the ole ole kick on Pierce does get a pop. And actually, anytime that they were brawling in the crowd, like it, you could hear noise because they were right, in, you know, the, the microphone was right next to the audience members. So just the few people right there were making noise. And then if they cut back to the hard cam, it got real quiet again. Um, so uh, I guess that would have been a good way to fake crowd reaction. Just bring the camera right near the few people that were making the noise. <laughs> um, at one point, um, Homicide put Carino on a table on the floor and Frog splashed all the way off the top to the floor through the table. And I thought it hit very well. So that was a good spot. Um, but, you know, at the, then there was another sequence where they were back in the ring. And it, I thought it was interesting. They kept covering each other um, after moves and no one was kicking out of everything. It was all pins continually getting broken up. Um, at one point, Homicide got the racket from Cornette. And Pierce tried to atomic drop Homicide, but Homicide passed the racket to Joe while Pierce was lifting him up, and Joe hit Pierce with the racket. Uh, and then Hagedorn gets involved and gets a lariat backdrop driver combo by the baby faces. Then Cornette hits Homicide with the racket from behind. Pierce rolls him up for two. I thought that was a good near fall. Um, Joe tried to Northern Light suplex Carino through the table, but he completely missed. So he just picked up Carino and power bombed him through the table, you know, like a pro. <laughs> um, <laughs> so uh, Joe hit the muscle buster on Pierce, and then he set up Pierce for the lariat. Homicide hits it and gets a weird three count because it looked like Pierce was kicking out at the last second. Like, yeah, I, I, which didn't make any sense. Like I don't know why Pierce would do that. Like I don't. Did he forget it was the finish? Did he get concussed? I honestly have no idea. But um, that did happen. But the ref counted it. And, um, yeah, I mean, there was action in the match. Um, it wasn't like it was terrible or anything, but it was so forgettable. Um, it felt just like, just like a kind of bland brawl. Um, I, uh, and you know, the crowd was dead and, um, yeah, I don't know. It wasn't, uh, it, uh, I don't know. I just don't know what to say about it. Like it was, it wasn't particularly bad. It wasn't particularly good. It wasn't up to the standards of a Ring of Honor main event, and the crowd heat sucked, which I guess after you talk about the match for yourself, I'll talk about what I feel about the crowd heat. So I like this match more than you. I would call this like a strong, good three and a half stars. I would I, I would say this is tied for my favorite match of the night with the semi-main event. Um, it, it not Ring of Honor main event level. I completely agree. I thought everyone – I thought they were working pretty hard here. I thought I, w- I was never bored, but – I agree. Like the big problem this match faces, if you've been watching every show in order, is it's coming right after a different, crazier Briscoe's. I mean, a tag match with Homicide and Joe, where yeah, the Briscoes. I mean, that match. I mean, it's 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 kind of an unfair comparison because in some ways it's one of the crazier matches we've ever seen in Ring of Honor. You know, doing stuff off the top of a truck, getting fighting in, getting thrown into a brick wall outside, a table that won't break no matter what you do to it. You know, that match was crazy. This match is more of your typical boilerplate brawl, but I thought done fairly well. You know, I do think the relaxed rules thing, it was kind of annoying to be told early on. It's relaxed rules. It's not no DQ because like as you said, like I'm just – I was looking at my notes like in this match, 
Jim Cornette's tennis racket gets used in, in the ring in full view of the ref. Shane Hagedorn literally walks into the ring at one point, interferes at a different point in the match. Uh, Homicide, as you said, literally kicks the ref in the dick, like hits him in the dick. And none of this gets DQ'd. Like if, if this is relaxed rules, like that suggests that there's still something these guys could do that would get them DQ'd. Like what would that be? A gunshot? Like if you can hit the ref and interfere in front of the ref i i don't know why you didn't just make this no dq but um yeah i i i you know you got some big spots like the the frog splash through the table on the floor you know they homicide and and carino especially brawl to the back and they get like a ddt on the bleachers again it's stuff that would be impressive except if you're in your mind thinking well jesus this is like a pale this is this pales in comparison to the shit we saw recently in a different tag team wild main event like in in a in a perfect world if you're gonna have book both these matches as main events this and the briscoes homicide carino one you probably should have booked this one first because when there was even a little more novelty to homicide joe and you haven't had to have a comparison um yeah if this match was in the mid card or on a stack show over delivered the 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 pretty fairly good this was would be good enough but because parts of this show ear irked me and the storyline isn't clicking for me and this crowd really wasn't good you know even in this match they'll pop big for a spot like homicide's Topi Kanhilo on Pierce and Credo at the same time or a table break but when like you mentioned when Credo and, and homicide basically do like the hockey fight where they throw fists in, in, in over and over with like one of those spots where we'd normally get at least some reaction for any other crowd they are nearly literally silent there's almost no noise um and yeah it's just um and then that finish yeah that finish is bizarre adam pierce you know uh, joe hits adam pierce with the muscle buster and rather than pin him he lets homicide finish him off with a lariat and pierce kicks out at three and they just count that as as the finish of the match unless like you said pierce unless pierce got like legitimately rocked I don't see how he why he would kick out because I don't think he would honestly try and big time Samoa Joe and Homicide. And there's no way you could get hit with the muscle buster in a Larry and not think this is the finish of the match. I like, don't go, oh, I forgot that was the finish. I thought I was going to kick out of both of your finishers. No. So, like, yeah, either he got rocked or something bizarre happened because that is a really weird thing. Um, oh, only, uh, one last thing I want to say before I get your thoughts to you was commentary at one point talked about like oh you know the history of carino and homicide like steve carino hurt homicide's shoulder in a past match but the weird thing in that match the move that clearly homicide got hurt on was homicide doing a tope con heel that he kind of overshot carino on and carino didn't really grab him great and i know homicide in like out of character promos whether who knows how much of this is real or not blamed carino for feeling like he should helped him more on the catch and stuff like that but it's like in kayfabe Carino did not injure homicide shoulder like homicide injured, injured homicide shoulder. But so it, it, it's weird how we, they're kind of retconning it now to build up the storyline. But otherwise, yeah, kind of a middling way to end the night in ring wise. But what would you think about the crowd? Well, I just this is a stretch of shows like, you know, there we've had dead crowds in ROH before. Like I, I know, like, you know, you said this is might be the deadest. I don't think it is. Um, there were others um, over the years, through the years, as they say, um, as some might say. But um, I do think this is the longest stretch of shows with less than hot crowds, like this entire like fall leading up to Final Battle. There's a lot of them. And I was thinking about it in terms of some of the debates 
that you hear people talk about with AEW in contemporary times. I think the reason the crowds are not engaged, even in things they would have other times, is I think the overarching angle, like the top promoted thing in ROH in this time, is the sort of thing that people don't come to ROH for, and I think it hurts the vibe of the whole show. You know, we talked about it on recent shows, just like this whole people don't watch ROH for um, WWE-style evil promoter, evil commissioner storylines, you know, with the underdog baby face fighting against the the authority, as they say. Um, that's not what people watch ROH for. They watch ROH for, you know, serious wrestling and world title matches that are treated as big athletic contests, right? Like that's, that's the main reason people were into ROH in this era because it wasn't like WWE. Kind of reminds me of the debate la- late last year about, you know, AEW becoming too much like WWE and maybe that caused some lack of interest or quieter crowds than you normally got from AEW in previous eras. And, you know, I think people now are maybe wondering if things are course correction and people are getting back into it now that the emphasis has shifted back more to the athleticism. Um, you know, I mean, it's, I think it's, as we record, this is really too early to say. Um, but for ROH, I don't think it is too early to say because we watched it before, we watched it during, we watched it after. And we'll see as we get, we get after. I think once this homicide cornet stuff ends, you know, things start coming back again. What was the main focus for most of t- 2006 was Danielson's title reign, uh, Aries and Strong's tag title reign, the CZW feud, which was much more of like an old school, like territory style, like blood feud as opposed to like WWE style gimmickry. And I think that stuff got over uh, very well. This is just killing people's vibe. This is just like, what is this? This is not ROH. Um, you know, even partially out of necessity because he's been injured, but Danielson has been greatly de-emphasized. And um, the stuff that's emphasized instead is, uh, you know, just very 90s, early 2000s TV wrestling stuff, which is just kind of a bummer. And I think that's how, I, that's how these crowds seem to me. Like, they just seem kind of bummed out. And so they're not so willing to be excited by the stuff that normally would be exciting. And we've been through this a couple of times before, maybe not quite less, but we, there's been a couple of lulls we've covered on through the years. Like I would say before, right before the Feinstein stuff broke and like yep. the at our best and reborn launch, I, I feel like they had kind of been in a, l- a little bit of a lull there. And then I would say after like the summer of punk before the Danielson title ring really got started rolling, I think there was a bit of a lull, the you know, minus the, Joe Verskobashi. The, the difference is not every, you know, there were, in 2004, there weren't as many shows. You know, they weren't doing the double shot so much yet. In 2005, they were, but not every weekend was a double shot. So there's, there were just weren't as many of these like, okay, another kind of dull show. I, I, I think that that's, uh, that's the difference. It's just, there's, there's more of it. So it stands out more. And you, you, not only did you have a – you did a great point saying that really sets up the final segment, which we'll get to in a sec. But another thing you did that, that worked out great is I just very briefly checked Twitter for a sec, and normally I don't. But for some reason, I felt compelled. And it was it was meant to be, Matt, because you're talking about like about how AW might be course-correcting, feel something to get away from things. One of the only things I saw on Twitter when I loaded up, Tony Khan saying we're bringing back the rankings. Oh. So you want to talk about a company that's spending recent months saying we're sorry – we got away from ourselves like yeah well, but, 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 but do they but do they have a contender's ring 
Because <laughs> I would like to hear the announcers explain that during a 45-minute match. Are you saying what could have made this 2006 winter better for Ring of Honor is if they came out with another, like, ill-advised number one contender system that, like, they dropped within two or three months? Yes. <laughs> is that what Ring of Honor is missing at this point? But Yes. So, um, yes. We get to our last segment. After the match, Shane Hagedorn runs in and he attacks Samoa Joe, who completely no-sells Hagedorn's attack, slaps Hagedorn in the face multiple times, drags him to the back, where we never see them again. Um, Cornette then waves in the Briscoes, who attack Homicide in the ring. Homicide fights them off one-on-two, but Adam Pierce stops him from hitting the cop killer on Mark Briscoe. Uh, Homicide then gets attacked by Carino, Pierce, the Briscoes, and a tennis racket welding uh, Jim Cornette. And you have to wonder at this point, Matt, one, why Samoa Joe went all the way to the back with Shane Hagedorn and left Homicide all alone in the ring with Pierce Carino and everybody else. And two, how in the world Shane Hagedorn could keep him tied up for so long? Because as I'm about to describe, basically every ba- major babyface on the roster comes out to save, ho- try to save Homicide, except Samoa Joe. So um, Carino, you know, takes a, a, a plastic bag and he covers Homicide's head with it as Prezak now screams. He's trying to suffocate Homicide. Students from the Ring of Honor School try and run in and save Homicide, but the Briscoe stop them from even getting into the ring. Creon screams, die, motherfucker, die. Aries and Strong run down and fight the Briscoes at ringside, but even they can't get into the ring. Prezak is now screaming that the suffocation could cause brain damage or kill Homicide. He's screaming now for someone to help. He's saying it's the most sadistic thing he's seen in pro wrestling. Finally, Matt Seidel, Delirious, and David Richards successfully run the ring. They turn the tide. They brawl Creon's crew as Homicide lies motionless. It, yeah, like, it's it's funny. Like that, like the, you could tell. Like they're they realize like it's not time to take the the bag off because like they have these lulls where then they decide to keep kicking at like Carino's crew, and like instead of taking the bag off Homicide's head, and to the point where somebody in the crowd yells like. Richards, take the bag off his head already. Like it's just like because they clearly had many opportunities too, and they just didn't. <laughs> I did not notice. <laughs> you know what? That might be my favorite part of the show, and I didn't even catch it. It's the guy yelling, "Richards, take the bag off his head." <laughs> <laughs> Go back and look. Okay. It happens. This is a good crowd. I changed my mind. This was a good crowd. Um, <laughs> they do have their so, moment. Yeah. They do have their moments. That's why I said they weren't the worst crowd. So, uh, yeah, Delirious, David Richards, is they run. They turn the tide. They brawl with Homicide's crew. Homicide's lies motionless, bag over his head, and then hits, hits Richards eventually removes it, I wrote. So, yes, thank you for that, fan. Um, the faces all check on Homicide. And I'll again note, all these people trying to save Homicide, not one of them is Joe. What the fuck is he doing back yeah, yeah, no, in Hagedorn? They, yeah, they, they try to make – they try to like write him off by just like him casually beating up Shane Hagedorn as they walk to the back. And it's like, really? Like everyone else in the back knew about this – um, bags situation, but nobody bothered to tell you. <laughs> like, yeah, it's very weird. So, uh, uh, Mark Briscoe tells Dave, uh, Davey Richards that he'll see him tomorrow because, of course, they have a match the next night. Carino shouts, next time I'll kill you at Homicide. Kurt's crew leaves. Homicide eventually recovers with the baby faces all, uh, all around him after a little while. And the show just ends like that yeah, where the I, last I, thing we see – Sorry, go ahead. No, finish. I was just going to say, the last thing we see is Homicide's leaning against the second rope, still struggling to get get up, and the crowd's chanting ROH and Homicide. And that is like the kind of dour end of the show. How um how does somebody who's suffocating someone with a plastic bag know when you could just the right time to have them unconscious but not dead? Like, because Carino's like, next time I'll kill you. But like, how did he know he didn't already? I mean, like, he, he, <laughs> he voluntarily walked away. You know what I mean? Like it's it's yeah. not like 
it, it's it's not like he um was forced away while he was trying to kill homicide. He walked away and apparently he knew like I put just the right amount of suffocation on to not have it not not become murder suffocation. Green Lantern fan was in the front row with the stopwatch counting how many seconds he was without oxygen and being like, yeah. bring death to stock current until 65 seconds. Steve, you got another 20. Yeah. Um, <laughs> um, so, yeah, other than the giant logic hole of Samoa Joe being the only major babyface, he never comes back to help his own tag partner. Like, I get why you don't want to have Joe there because maybe you feel like you can't have – Homicide be worked on that long. Like if Joe was there in, in kayfabe, Joe should have been able to fight through. But they needed to have a better out for Joe than just he decides to drag Shay Hagadar all the way to the back. Yeah, like knock him out through a table, you know, hit him in the head with like a with a baseball bat or something, you know, like something other than like he just like slowly like punches Shane Hagadorn a couple times as they walk to the back. Especially because I think the Briscoes have another tag match with Joe and and and, and Mark. I mean, I'm Joe and, and Homicide. So like, you could have just had the Briscoes do something heinous and yeah. build more heat for the next tag. But um, I thought this angle was fine. Like the suffocation with the plastic a- bag angle has been done before, famously with Terry Funk and Ric Flair during their legendary 1989 feud. And I've seen ter- uh, Homicide in interviews talk about how big an influence Terry Funk was on with him. And Creo had actually like had like a bit of a feud with Funk in NLW just like two or three years earlier. So I assume he's a big fan of- as well. So it wouldn't surprise you if one of them didn't come up with the idea directly as like, ah, hey, how don't we do the Terry Funk like plastic plastic bag angle? But the problem is – Ring of Honor has done a bunch of these deadly serious, oh my god, he tried to maim or kill this guy with a prop angles in their fairly short history, and they never quite seem to fit with Ring of Honor, and because we've seen so many, it's kind of another thing that's a little numbing to me, like, I'm just trying to go through my head, all right, we had Homicide stabbed Steve Creel in the eye with a fork, we had Jimmy Rave use a cheese grater on CM Punk's stomach tattoos, and then they tried to do the old sensor gig, we can't even show you his stomach, it's so gross right now, we had Homicide try to cut out uh, Colt Cabana's tongue. We had him making um, Colt Cabana drink Drano, which Colt acted like nearly killed him and was like huge trauma. So like they've done a lot of these. So it was like this one was almost like eh, been there, done that, which you know shouldn't be how I feel for this angle. But they're also just ne- they're also just never the things that people remember positively about ROH. You know, like if if they ever come up, they're just like kind of punchlines. It's just not what people cared about when it comes to ROH. I will say the Drano one was at least memorable yeah, and it yeah, did yeah, kind yeah, of change yeah. the complexion that, of that feud. That one was probably the one that came off like the best in terms of, um, you know, like just like the going for the tone they wanted as opposed to just being kind of a groaner. Yeah, but but to your point though, I think no most people don't even remember the other ones. You know, like does how many uh, CM Punk fans rem- know that there once was an angle where a guy tried to shave off his straight edge belly tattoo with a cheese grater? Yeah, like yeah. probably not very many. But that's like a crazy thing. But it just it it yeah it's not remembered. Um, anyway, uh, yeah that that's the that's the note we end our review of suffocation on. Um, Matt, this was. What did you think about this show? This is this is a this is a weird one. Yeah, I mean, like I I had very very bottom of the barrel expectations, so I thought this was not like the worst show of the year. Or honestly, I thought there were a few shows worse than this. 
So in that sense, it greatly exceeded my expectations. I liked several of the matches. I mean, the one thing this show had working against it is when you have an ROH show, you want there to be at least one great match, and there wasn't a great match on this show. So in that sense, it's probably not a show you need to watch. Um, but I thought there were a few good matches. I like and and um, I thought it was consistent-ish. I didn't think that the final angle at the end was that bad. Like you said, I thought it was fine. Um, it just was serving a higher purpose that I wasn't that into. But uh, in general, I thought the show was was okay. It was, you know, it wasn't great by Ring of Honor standards. I definitely don't think it was terrible. I uh, probably wouldn't watch it again, but except for that homicide promo. But uh, yeah, I didn't have a bad time watching it. And I... Uh, I definitely thought it was a lot better than how we roll for uh that's still my front runner for worst show of the year. So I'll give a caveat that, uh, that I often give, which is ring of honor in this period had such a high floor that I agree that like there were two fairly good, like three and a half star matches on the show. Nothing was other other than one match. I had nothing that was even average. You know, yeah. there was one match I had below average. Yeah, like, and again, I, yes, and I and I had more of the, those good matches than you did. Like the, so that yeah. that 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 affects my my thoughts too. So you know, the, there is a floor for him. I always say that, but I will say it's never been tested more because because like you said, this wasn't a great. This this was the show. It didn't have anything historically significant. It didn't have the great match. It didn't have the match that overachieved. In fact, it had matches that underachieved a little bit. Maybe it. it um, I guess Aries and Claudio overachieved based on our recent low expectations for this era of Claudio. Um, it, it, it the crowd was not particularly good, apart from helping helping Davy Richards remember to save Homicide's life. Like it, it, the. It, I guess the thing I would say about the show is, I don't know if it's the worst show I've seen recently or one of the worst shows, but what I would say, how I would quantify it is, on a lot of these Ring of Honor shows lately that and during the dry winter of 0304, I I've been able to find positives and things where I could in the recommendations at the end say. You know, you don't need to watch this show, but you know, you can watch wa- if you if you can find easy access to it from like Honor Club or something. Watch this match. You know, like watch on Survivor of this 2006. You can skip it, but you could wa- definitely enjoy the last 10 minutes of the main event with Delirious and Saitel really going nuts. Or you know, the last show. I would say, hey, you can watch. It's not. It's a skippable show, but the Briscoes street fight with with uh, Joe and Homicide is worth going out of your way to see. It's pretty wild. It's crazy. It, it, you know, this is a show where. I, there's not a single thing where I would say, unless you really want to tune into that opening promo, maybe we're over, overhyping that even a little bit. There's nothing – like I would say unless you were absolute completist, you were literally the person that is watching every show, Ring of Honor show in order. And in that case, you don't need our recommendations. This is a show I would not recommend. It's the rare Ring of Honor show we've had on through the years where after the end of I watched it, I had fun because there was some enjoyable things and it's always more fun – doing the sh- watching shows because knowing it's going to turn to the podcast, which I have fun doing. So it, it always kind of makes ads fun. But I was thinking if I wasn't doing for this for the podcast, this was the rare ring of honor show where I can't remember the last time I felt this way. I was like, I kind of feel like I almost wasted three hours of my life. Like I could have been doing so even, even Trevor Dame could have been doing so many other things <laughs> with his life for three hours, you know? And I, I, and I rarely, even for the average ring of honor shows in this era, don't feel that way. This one, I was like, 
man, I'm three hours closer to death for for that. And I man, don't have he, that feeling very often with Ring of Honor. Even the dunce of the week was was bored. He wasted. He yeah, was, yeah, Matt. But you know, we we have the award that was given to me by the great Brian Last, but. We have one last award to give out. What is the Matt F. Trophy going to today? Again, uh, you know, Aries made a push. I know who the favorite is. You could be an outside-the-box pick even. Who is getting the Matt F. Trophy, the pick for the most notable thing or person on the show? You know, when you said that it was going to be either the Homicide promo or Aries, I almost wanted to be like, all right, what's an outside-the-box pick I could think of instead to surprise him? But, you know, that would – that would – wouldn't – live up to the integrity of the Matt F trophy. I have to go with the plan. I can't just change it willy nilly. You know, I, there's a lot of thought that's put into this, Trevor. I, I, <laughs> I spent hours debating this with the committee. You know, my, my, I, I, I pray to God that I don't even believe in. I visited my, I visited my grandmother's grave and asked her. So oh I, I, I do, I do this before every episode, Trevor. Um, it's definitely not something we forgot to do in like the second or third time no, we ever proposed. Doing. No, no, it's not. Um, and so, um, I have to go with the plan, and I'm giving it to Austin Aries because I'd been kind wow. of bored, I'd been kind of bored with him for a while. And I thought he really stepped up his game. He's back to the Aries I know and love. He was uh, – he honestly might have had the most fiery performance of anyone on this whole show. Um, and you know maybe that's not saying much, but I, I actually do think if you watch it, you'd be like, all right, yeah, this guy is into it. And so I thought he was great even if the match wasn't. Um, I wish the crowd got a little bit of some of that fire um, from him. But yeah, Austin Aries, congratulations. You have won the Madaf Trophy this time. And that takes us to plug. So as always, through the years at gmail.com to email us, T-H-R-O-H for through. You know, we have the show on YouTube. If you, a few crazy people like listening to the show on YouTube, so definitely we keep it up for you there. Um, Twitter, at Trevor Dame on Twitter, and at Mayor M-G-F for Matt. Um, next time on the show, we will be covering the second half of this double shot. They go to Chicago. Irresistible Forces is the name of the show. Main evented by... Samoa Joe and Brian Danielson in a uh, no DQ match where there must be a winner, but non-title. Um, Matt, I don't remember hardly anything about this show. It has to be better than this show. So mm-hmm. if nothing – oh, God, Matt. Don't you put that voodoo on me, Matt. We'll, don't you we'll, dare. We'll see, Trevor. We'll see. Well, we will see on the next three of the year. So until next time, have a good time. Have a great time.